This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. It's Friday night. Well, technically, it's Friday morning. Uh, well, for some people, it might be Thursday night, but the moon is bright. And it is Friday for us here on The Other Side of Midnight. What does that mean? That means uh, we've got an action-packed show for you on a whole host of issues. We're going to get Dr. Sky's take on the meteor shower that's coming this way, uh, coming up in about an hour. we got denunciations coming up in about two hours. But first... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. That means for the next 57 minutes, whatever you have questions about, I will do my best to answer. A lot of people look forward to this portion of the show each and every week. They look forward to it all week. That means whatever you have questions about at 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. I will do my best to answer. Questions about film, television, books, business, radio, the business of radio, cocktails, advice, my personal history, pro wrestling, gambling, Atlantic City, local politics, national politics, restaurants, New York, criminal justice system, aliens, the mob, hypothetical questions, my personal preferences, relationships, baseball, the culture at large, religion, foreign policy, or anything else, else at all that I can possibly answer a question about, we've got Eight open phone lines with your name on it. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Now, uh, a lot of times when we do this, I try to pick whoever's got the most interesting subject that they have a question about. Then for uh, a time I was doing alphabetical, whoever had the, you know, the next name in the alphabet. But what we're going to do today is plain and simple, first come, first serve. Whoever's been on hold the longest for Ask Frank Anything, whether their question is lame or whether their question is great, that's who we're going to go to first. So if you want to queue up, 800-848-WABC. Pete in Piscataway. It's that away. Hello, Pete. Hi, Frank. Uh, Frank, do you have any three or four favorite TV dad actors? Dad. Ooh, uh, three or four favorite uh, TV dad actors. Well, you know, I mean, I guess you'd have to or say characters. characters too. Oh, characters. Okay. Well, I guess you'd have to say, um, you know, I'd put uh, Ricky Ricardo right at the top of the list from I Love Lucy. I thought he was terrific. Um, I'd have to put uh, Uncle Phil from The Fresh Prince of Bel Bel Air at or or near the top, and uh, I think I'd have to put uh, Mike Brady from The Brady Bunch at or near or the top. Oh, I would have gone with uh, Rifleman, Luke McCain, and Andy Griffith. Just two. All, all great. All great. Can't go, can't go wrong, especially when you're talking about fiction, fictional characters. 800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to Rob in New Jersey. Hello, Rob. Yeah, hello. 
Hello. For the past two weeks, I've been in an all-at-war against bugs ever since I got attacked by two bugs like two weeks ago. Now, w- what are you talking about, like listening devices or like small creatures or something? Little creatures that attack me. Mm-hmm. I'm using like, mostly like my shoe or some chemical weapons like grade. I wanted to know like, what you think is the most fast, efficient way to kill bugs. The the most efficient way to kill bugs? As many as possible. Well, I mean, I would say two things. Either let spiders have free reign in your home, because spiders are the most efficient bug killers that I'm aware of, um, but a lot of people don't like spiders. That's why I don't like to kill spiders. I'm always telling my wife that uh, whenever she sees a spider in the house or in the basement, whatever, let them go, uh, especially if she sees them outside in the backyard. Spiders are the best defense against bugs. If you see spider webs, leave them there. That's always my advice. Now, if you don't like the idea of spiders and spider webs hanging around your home, hire an exterminator. That's my view. Uh, If you need a recommendation, email me. I can recommend quite a few. Frank.Morano at WABCRadio.com. That's Frank.M-O-R-A-N-O at WABCRadio.com. Henry is in Manhattan. Hello, Henry. Hi, good evening. Good evening. Uh, I, I have two questions. One is, do you know why Bose Nerdly uh, uses a, a radio name as opposed to his real name? Well, it's because Rush Limbaugh for years referred to him as Bose Nerdly. So I, I think now James Golden did host a radio show prior to being known as Bo Snurdly. He hosted a radio show with Joel Sanchez-Savon right here on this station. It's a very good show. It was the James and Joel show. But then he developed this whole other level of fame as Bo Snurdly. So I think he wanted to, on the one hand, be known as his own name. And again, I can't speak for him, obviously. Uh, but I think he wanted to be known as James Golden. But I think he also wanted credit for all the things that he did in the years working for Rush where he was known as Bo Snurdly. So I, I think that's it. He just wanted to capitalize on that uh, fame that Rush Limbaugh had given him. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Tom is in Brooklyn. Hello, Tom. Morning, Frank. Morning. I heard I heard you say your brother is a communist. And yes, I, I, I mean, I think technically he considers himself a Marxist, but yes. Okay, Marxist, sorry. I, I just uh, I was wondering I, I I know somebody who's a communist and he's driving me nuts every once in a while and I was just wondering how you feel about that and when there are conflicts because I'm sure there are of opinions how do you handle it? Um, well I mean we don't really let when we there's stuff that we disagree about we don't let disagreements get in the way of our personal relationship but honestly. I'll be honest, you know, I was with several of his friends who are socialist PhDs on uh, Saturday, and I was amazed at how many areas we agreed upon. A bunch of them were very frustrated that their hero, Bernie Sanders, voted for the $40 billion for Ukraine. And uh, several of them, not one, but several of them said, you know, if Trump runs again in 2024, even though they despise Trump and everything he stands for, if he's going to be the guy that de-escalates this war in Ukraine, they said they'd vote for him. So, um, you know, my view in dealing with my brother, who's a Marxist, and I'm certainly not, or anybody else that I might disagree with but be fond uh, fond of, is you find areas that you agree upon. Any person, no matter who, 
you can find an area that you agree upon. So work on enhancing those areas. And if you disagree with somebody on 99 issues, if you disagree with somebody on 999 out of 1,000 issues, find that one issue that you agree upon and work with them on that in order to get change in that area. That's my view. 800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to Ellen in Manhattan. Hello, Ellen. Hi. How are you, Frank? Great, Ellen. How are you? Good. Happy holiday. Likewise. Um, I am concerned and sick of this, these credit unions ruining my chances of advancing. You know, thank God I have a high credit score. I don't know how I have it. But they keep mixing me up with my sister. Oh. And I've written them, and I've sent all the proofs over and over. They, how do you? How do they get away with this? This is what I want to know. How come the government knows that this is going on? And I know they do. And they get away with this. Well, these credit people's Yeah, these credit rating agencies are out of control now. If I can ask, Ellen, do you have significantly different credit history than your sister that you're that they're mixing you up with? No, but my mother was so so brilliant enough to name the same first name. Only thing that differs is the middle initial, which everybody drops. Wait, wait, wait. You and your sister have the same first name? Huh? Yeah, yeah, that was brilliant. That was brilliant. Well, why was that brilliant? I mean, that sounds very confusing. Oh, I I see. Okay. My mother ruined our lives when she named us the same name. Wait, wait. Your mom named you and your sister the same first name? Yes. She thought, I don't know what they were thinking. Well, I mean, you know, as much as I'd like to point the finger at the credit rating agencies here, Ellen, I, I think I think your mom deserves a little bit of blame on this one. Oh, I know that. But, yeah. but what are you going to do? But the thing is, I keep giving them the middle name, which I use even in my Social Security, and thank God they got it right. Well, so but what I, I – this is a tough one. Uh, this is a tough one, and sometimes this can inure to your benefit. I've known people that get Atlantic City casino comps, for instance, and hotel comps that are meant for their father when they have the same name as their father. In your case, what I'd suggest – look, you're already on record as telling the credit rating agencies – that they have the wrong credit dating, uh, the the credit wrong credit history about you. What I would suggest is that you reach out to the Better Business Bureau, include a copy of your letters to the credit rating agencies, and say, "Look, you know, I've repeatedly asked the credit rating agencies to do the right thing here, and they have not yet done so." I'd appreciate it if there was a little more scrutiny on your part. Now, I know it's a lot of work on your part and a questionable return. I'm not sure what else to suggest, I'll be honest. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Roger in Massachusetts. Hello, Roger. Yeah, hi, thanks. All right. Now, you know all of the conspiracy theories or plausible accusations that the right can level against the left, even legitimately. Things like, oh, they, they get the borders open, it's like they can dilute uh, the, popula- you know, the white population, or, oh, they, uh, maybe some globalist-minded uh, lefties uh, want to um, you, you, uh, make the economy decline so bad 
and that we depended on everybody else's oil, and so we all have to, you know, you know, all those all those things which which seem to be legitimately able to be leveled against the left. My question to you is now: What legitimate, plausible accusations could the left? legitimately level against the right. Well, I think the most most obvious ones that I've heard, and thank you for the call, Roger, are one, uh, anything related to the vaccines. You know, once you get into the realm of claiming that the reason these vaccines are being disseminated is because Bill Bill Gates wants to be a whole lot richer, that's a conspiracy theory that, um, you know, that the, you know, that the right seems to propagate. Uh, the you know one of the other other obvious ones is election fraud, right? That the 2020 election was stolen. That's a conspiracy theory that the um, you know that the right loves to propagate. Although I guess you're saying maybe you're saying the other way. Is it a, something that the left can point to the right uh, as an example of? Well, I'm not really sure. I mean, you 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 hear them. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not really sure what else. Honestly, I'm not really sure what the left can say. Oh, the right is doing this because of X. I'm sure there are a lot out there. I don't have any immediately committed to memory. And I want to give other people an opportunity to ask some questions. 800-848-9222. One open line if you want to jump, jump on board. Eddie is in Ocean County. Hello, Eddie. Hi, good morning, Frank. I'm a big fan of this new system of taking calls in the order of they come in. So, gotcha. Okay, well, we'll see how it works out. If it's uh, if it's compelling enough for uh, to maintain the high ratings that we've become accustomed to, then we'll stick with it. Yep. Uh, my question's like this: Your friend and council member Joe Borelli, I saw recently he, he proposed, and I heard this is something you proposed beforehand also, that Stan Island should secede from New York City. I want to know what your view on this is and if you would like Staten Island to become its uh, independent municipality. Well, so what uh, – first of all, and I, I think you know if you, you because you've listened to the show a while, Eddie, that uh, Joe is one of my closest friends. And I used to be a staffer to uh, Joe Borelli. Now, um, Joe and I go way back. We, we go back uh, about 20 years. We're close friends. We play ping pong just about every Saturday. We go back a ways. He's probably listening right now. Um, that being said – one, his legislation, as he's introduced it now, as he's introduced it previously, is not to have Staten Island secede from from New York City. What his legislation says is there should be a commission to study the viability and the feasibility of Staten Island seceding from New York City. I'm all for that. I'm all for studying what the economic impact would be for Staten Island seceding from New York City. That being said, I am, and this puts me you know, at odds with many of my fellow Staten Islanders, I am opposed to secession. I don't think Staten Island should secede from New York I uh, I think Staten Island is New York City and New York City is Staten Island. I think if you look at the history of New York City and part what has made it so great is Staten Island. If you look at the renaissance that New York City enjoyed in the 1990s, it's really because of one borough, Staten Island, because it was the votes that Rudy Giuliani got in Staten Island in 1993 that allowed him to win. He would not have been elected but for Staten Island. That's a fact. You can look at any study you want. That's a fact. 
And because of Giuliani's election in 1993, and I realize I'm oversimplifying it, there were other factors as well. But because of Giuliani's election in 93, it so lowered the crime rate in New York City. You had national publications labeling New York City as the suddenly safer city. That wouldn't have happened but for Staten Island. Staten Island literally saved this city, and they did it repeatedly. They did it again in 2001 with Mike Bloomberg. So um, I don't think Staten Island should secede from New York City. I'd love to see Staten Island have a little bit greater autonomy, to have uh, a little bit more decision-making power on things like parking, zoning, uh, you know, land use, things of that nature. But no, I think Staten Island is a, a big part of New York City, and New York City defines Staten Island just as much as Staten Island defines New York City. I'd love to see uh, Staten Island more integrated with New York City in terms of its culture and the way people look at things. Uh, I am not for secession, but I'm all for studying the economic feasibility of secession. 800-848-WABC, one open line. Let me say hello to Tom in the Bronx. Hello, Tom. Yeah, hiya, Frank. Hiya, Tom. Uh, I'd like to see yes. uh, what's the length of time for average fer- ferry hawks game. I'd say it's about uh, two hours, 20 minutes. All right. Now, this is what I want to say. The um, the Ferry Hawks game should be put – I mean, they should think about it. If it's not on cable, is it on cable? Not to my knowledge, no. Now, if it's not on cable, then I think that to advertise the Ferry Hawks to the New York uh, audience that – it should be put on your radio station. At least the worst it could do is take two hours and some odd minutes away from a regular uh, day. And if they could put the Ferry Hawks game on your station just one time, I'm not saying every week, I'm not saying every day, but if you know, that, if they know that the uh, the other big teams aren't playing. On a particular day, you know what I mean, or those hours, then they can put the Ferry Hawk scheme on and get a lot of listeners. All right, Tom. You know, I'm not sure what your question is necessarily. If your question is, do I think that's a good idea? Yes. I do think that's a good idea. I'd love to see the Ferry Hawks once in a while be carried on WABC, and I'd love to see every Ferry Hawks game be carried online at WABCradio.com. But the thing about working on this station and being on air four hours a day, you know what I don't get to do? Make programming decisions because I'm not the program director. I'm not the president. I'm not the owner. So I'm happy to run that up the flagpole. But ultimately, decisions about programming other than the four hours that I'm on air, they are someone else's decision. I I, I wish I had more authority. Believe me. 800-848-9222. Who's been holding the next longest. Billy is in the East Village. Hello, Billy. Hi. Um, do you know who the first captain of the Starship Enterprise was? I mean, the actor. Uh, captain Robert April, played by Lloyd Bridges. No. Okay. That's not. Uh, right. oh, you were discussing? <laughs> okay. Well, I, I mean, uh, some people think it's Jeffrey Hunter uh, who played uh, Captain is, Christopher is, Pike. It, it, well, yes, yeah. I was going to call. I was. I was going to call right after Easter because it was relevant because Jeffrey uh, Hunter 
also played uh, right jesus, jesus christ and, uh, yes as, as stewie griffin said uh he was yeah. good enough to chase green girls around the galaxy he was good enough to uh, <laughs> suffer and die for our sins but not good enough to chase green girls around the galaxy but um no he was not the first king captain king. but king the great it was a good movie king no great king. a great uh, film yeah. and he's also one of my favorite political movies of all time the last hurrah a wonderful actor but no he was not the first captain of the enterprise uh robert april was and uh it was oh, lloyd okay it was Lloyd Bridges, who was going to play Robert April, but he ended up doing Sea Hunt instead and uh, didn't play uh, wow. d- didn't play the captain uh, on Star Trek. That, but uh, that, but that but, early, wow. yeah, But but um, in the animated series, uh, they make clear that the first captain of the Enterprise was Captain Robert April, and uh, he was indeed the first captain of the Enterprise. That's NCC seventeen oh one, not including. The Archer Enterprise, where he was played by Scott Bakula, uh, the prequel series, which w- 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 it wasn't technically Starfleet or the Federation. That was, you know, the the you know the predecessor of Starfleet and the Federation. All right, three open lines answering your questions on any subject. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. We're doing a good old fashioned ask Frank anything. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, at one twenty-six this morning, we are in the midst of a good old-fashioned... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank... Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything. Whatever you have questions about, now's the time to ask them. If you've ever heard this show and said, Oh, gee, I wish I could ask Frank about X... But he's not talking about X. Now's the time to ask it. Questions about film, television, books, business, radio, the business of radio, cocktails, advice, my personal history, pro wrestling, gambling, Atlantic City, local politics, national politics, restaurants, New York, the criminal justice system, aliens, the mob, hypothetical questions, my personal preferences, relationships, baseball, the culture at large, religion, foreign policy, you name it, now's the time. And what we're doing today is uh, we're giving you... We're answering the questions in chronological order. So whoever's on hold the longest, that's who will be next. And then I'm always going to show deference to the callers. And then if there's time, I'll go to a few email questions as well. Also, whoever Philippe, uh, Matt Blaze, and sometimes Alex Barnard determine has the best question for the hour will give you a complimentary The Other Side of Midnight t-shirt. So if you want a really creative question and you want to win a T-shirt, call me 800-848-9222. And if your question is very creative and very interesting, 
we'll give you a prize. 800-848-WABC. Larry is in Florida. Hello, Larry. Hi, Frank. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. And uh, you seem like a uh, pretty logical guy. Oh, thank you. And uh, You clearly have not been listening long enough. Okay. I thought I'd run this by you. Not to disparage anybody. Uh, and I realize that uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, and there's always uh, the fog of uh, a crisis that could blow your vision. However, I was thinking about that shooting in uh, Texas, and uh, I was wondering how hard would it have been for the site commander to have gotten a uh, megaphone and uh, announced to the um, shooter, uh, that uh, they wanted them to stop and and to say, please tell us what you want. And you're probably too young. You sound too young to 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 have ever had one of those toys. Wait, uh, one of those what? Like a periscope. A toy. Those toys. That, those periscope. Yeah, toys that you can uh, like. They they they're, uh, they're like, like if you're in a uh, submarine, and if he could have sent a few men to the windows to look up with a periscope to see what was going on, where, where the shooter was, to locate the shooter. All right, so uh, your, while, your question, I guess, Larry, so your question is, how difficult would that have been? Uh, well, for starters, I'm not a public safety expert or a law enforcement expert. The, the answer is I have no idea. That being said, from what, everything that we have learned about that incident in Texas, is this was someone that was interested in killing as many people as possible. This doesn't seem like this was someone that was interested in holding hostages until they got their demands met. So I don't think that the outcome would have been significantly different if you would have seen law enforcement enter into a hostage negotiation situation. But as I said, I'm just a layman. Uh, I have no law enforcement experience No hostage negotiation experience, so I could be all wet on that front. But from everything I've read on that front, I don't think anything would have been different if the kind of scenario that you're talking about had been implemented. 800-848-WABC, Elaine is in Riverdale. Hello, Elaine. Hi, Frank. How are you doing this evening? Great. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm the cheesecake lady, remember? Uh, Absolutely. I'm a big fan of cheesecake. Wonderful. Do you remember ever hearing that Marlon Brando used to jam with bongos at a famous club in the 50s in what, Manhattan? What used to jam with whom? At a famous club in Manhattan. Oh, um, I, I don't remember that. Um, no, I don't. Okay, let me let you know what this was. The Palladium has a long history. It wasn't always on 14th Street. It goes back to, I believe, 53rd Street back in the 50s. Okay. And so you're saying Brando used to used to hang out there? Yes. He used to jam with Audrey Puente's uh, father, who had the Tito Puente Orchestra. Really? It was a, a Latin jazz and dance uh, club. Back in the 50s. Very interesting. It was like the Studio 54 of that time. I did not know that. I uh, followed Uh, Brando's career very closely, even read his autobiography, and uh, I don't remember him mentioning that. So uh, that is pretty interesting. 800-848-WABC. Bill is in Connecticut. Hello, Bill. Good morning, Frank. The, The miracle of Our Lady of Fatima. 
do you believe that a UFO was involved or did the sun really come down? And if you find that interesting, will you get somebody on the show to well, discuss I, it? I do find that interesting. The, the short answer is I have no idea, but I'd love to have somebody on uh, to explore that. I, I have followed the what happened at Fatima very closely and I absolutely leave open the possibility that it could have been a UAP. And uh, I uh, would love, if you have a suggestion, by the way, uh, as to who would be a good person to talk to on that front, I am absolutely game. But I find that very interesting and absolutely leave open the possibility that it was a UAP or something otherworldly. 800-848-WABC. We're doing an Ask Frank Anything Answering your questions on anything, uh, three open lines, 800-848-WABC. We're taking callers in the order that they've been on hold. And Mike in New Jersey is next up in the queue. Hello, Mike. Good morning, Frank. Frank, this is a multi-part question, if that's okay. Sure. So one word that you would use to describe yourself. Um, eccentric. Okay. And now, one word your wife would use or choose, one word your mom would choose, and one word Curtis would choose. Um, I would say, okay, wife, mother, Curtis. Uh, I I would say uh, my wife would probably, if she had to pick one word, would probably say uh, frustrating. I think my mother would say, um, I think she might say the same. I think she might also say frustrating. And I think uh, Curtis would say, uh, I don't want to speak for him, and I'm sure he's listening right Mama now. Luke. And uh, Yeah, that's probably the word that he would pick. He'd probably pick Mama Luke. Thank you, Mike. 800-848-WABC. One, two, three, four open lines as we do an Ask Frank Anything. Uh, taking the callers in the order that the, we're getting them. So uh, whatever you have questions about, now's the time. Uh, 800-848-9222. Igor is in Fairfield, New Jersey. Hello, Igor. Hey there, Frank. Hey, Frank, James Golden on the show used to have a show called James and Joel on ABC. Right, I mentioned that. Whatever yeah. happened with Joel? Uh, Joel Santista Vaughn, well, he worked behind the scenes at this radio station for a long time in the traffic department. And traffic has nothing to do with uh, the congestion on the LIE or the Belt Parkway. It has to do with the commercial ad schedule. And that was his primary role. And he stayed on as a reporter um, really up until, you know, a few years ago. And then he retired as both a reporter and the uh, traffic coordinator. So he lives on Long Island, and um, he he retired a few years ago. Still in great shape. His wife, unfortunately, uh, passed away due to cancer a few years ago. But I'll tell you, I've known Joel a long time. I know Joel pretty well. He's a great guy, uh, in great shape. And I'll be honest, last time I saw Joel was probably about three years ago, right before the pandemic. He looked the same as when I met him 17 years ago, 18 years ago. So he he's doing well. He's enjoying retirement out on Long Island. And, uh, and you know, I've suggested a WABC Old Timers Day, and I'm going to suggest that he be one of the people they bring back because uh, he would be great. 800-848-WABC. Next up in the queue is Nick in New Jersey. Hello, Nick. Oh, hi, Frank. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, I just got a two-part question. Uh uh, whatever happened with uh, Juliet Huddy, uh, Jets had Juliet, and also what became a uh, – uh, I know Frank Frank Russo left, uh, the other guy that used to be before Curtis. Uh, what's become of him? 
Well, so I, I don't. I, I let me answer the second question first. I don't know anything about Frank Russo. He's not somebody that I knew off air at all. Uh, I'll defer to Matt Blaze, who I think worked with him. I think Frankie Russo's show was mostly a paid program. And as far as I know, I think he just kind of ran out of money or didn't want to keep paying. And maybe that's why he's not on. Uh, but I can tell you the ratings that Curtis are doing is doing in that same slot is light years ahead of what anybody else has been doing in that slot on the weekend. As far as Juliet goes, uh, Juliet's doing well. I spoke to her the other day. She was visiting her uh, brother in uh, Florida. Her brother's expecting another child. And uh, we're going to try and get together for, uh, you know, for, for dinner or something. But she's doing well. She's working on uh, her next move. It might be something travel-related. She's got a few irons in the fire. She's filled in on a couple of other shows on uh, on radio, not on this station, but elsewhere. So I, I think, um, you know, I, I think she was just kind of in the mood for to do something different. I can tell you, um, I don't want to speak for her, obviously, but I, I can tell you uh, she did not love the hours of coming in here Every day at three o'clock in the morning, uh, they were very taxing on her and her relationship. But um, but she's doing well. She's uh, kind of planning her next step. I invited her to Joe Nolan's thing uh, tomorrow, which I'm going to be at because she was friendly with Joe as well. And uh, she said she's she just got back from Florida. She's tied up. So I don't know that. Uh, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. But, you know, I'll, I'll keep you posted. And I've always told her if she ever wants to come on and talk about travel or anything else. She's always welcome on this program. Uh, Matt Blaze, I don't know if you have any updates on the um, on the Frank Russo situation. I have no idea what he's doing now. That's what you mean. I don't know. All right. You, you guys don't keep in touch at all. Uh, no, I haven't spoken to him in uh, probably two months. All right. 800-848-WABC. Lou is in New Jersey. Hello, Lou. Hi, Frank. Big fan of your show. I Thanks. have a, a somewhat question on, on ABC's strategy for the afternoon where they're trying to fill somebody in for 12 and 1 o'clock, and I wonder... You know, it's only an hour they have there. Why don't they go to the a music venue where they use their 50s, 60s, 70s music, do a, a top 10 of the date uh, back into the 50s, 60s, 70s, and play that music for an hour to be a nice break for for the news? And I think so, it'll be a big big hit for uh, ABC. So your question is, why don't they play music at 12 o'clock? Yeah. yeah. Why don't uh, they consider that? Yeah, Lou, I, I don't know. And, and again, let me say this not only to Lou, but to everybody. I'm not the program director. I'm not the president of the station. I'm not the owner of the station. So uh, maybe, and I think we've done this before, maybe we'll invite John on to answer your questions about programming. Do you know how many, how many, how much influence I have in programming on the station? None. Zip, zilch, zero, nada. Beyond the four hours of this program, I have no say on what goes on. So you can say, well, why don't they do this? Well, Well, you know what they should really do is that. You know, I might agree with you, I might disagree with you. The only thing that I have any influence over is the four hours that I'm on. Some I make suggestions for the rest of the lineup. Sometimes they get taken, sometimes they don't. But the, clearly, whoever's making programming decisions is doing a pretty good job because the ratings are the highest they've been in a decade and a half. So we, we've gone from two years ago, WABC wasn't even in the top 20, to now we're the eighth most listened to radio station in New York. So clearly, whoever's making programming decisions, whether it's John, whether it's Matt Meany, the program director, or whether it's Chad Lopez, the president, clearly they're doing something right because our ratings are through the roof. It's the kind of ratings that an AM station hasn't seen in a long time, especially a talk station.
800-848-WABC, one, two, three, four open lines if you want to comment. I do have a few email questions here that I'll try and get to if uh, the call-in questions get, you know, get boring. But uh, we're taking the call-in questions in the order in which they're received. Whatever the subject, we're taking them in the order in which they're received. In that vein, uh, Kevin in Newton, New Jersey is next. Hello, Kevin. Hey, Frank. I haven't talked to you in a while. Good to talk to you. Uh, all right. I'm going to hit you with Star Trek stuff. All right. Uh, this is just referring to uh, both the original series and the next generation, not the other ones. Got it. Who in the original series would be your favorite female character? Doesn't have to be a regular. And who would be your favorite female villain in the original series? And I'll ask you. I, and I'll ask you the same thing about the next generation next. All right. Well, original series um, favorite female character. Um, I will say, hmm, that's a good one. Um, I'll say my favorite female character in the original series might be. I, I, I'll say it's Uhura. I'll say it's Uhura. Oh, I, would agree. I would agree. I would agree. It's between her and Nurse Chapel for me, but I would say Uhura. Wait, who was the second person you said? It's Nurse Chapel, probably. Oh, Nurse Chapel. Yeah, I like Nurse Chapel a lot. In terms of my favorite female villain. Huh. Um, trying to think here. Um, I I don't know. I don't know that I could pick a good female. Uh, I can villain. give you one. I can give, oh, I can you know, give you, you one. Know, I, I, no, I'm I'm tell, I'll tell you. I know exactly who it is. Uh, sure. Don't don't. I, I'll I'll let you say yours. But uh, no, I'll no, tell, no. Go ahead. I'll, I'll tell you who mine is. The Romulan commander, um, uh, Joanne Linville. The, who the first woman to play a Romulan commander who was sort of Spock's semi love interest in that episode? She's my favorite female villain of the she's original real, series. She she would be actually my second choice, and she's in a lot. She was in a lot of TV shows. Oh, I know, that, that I know. Actress. Yeah, she just passed uh, but, away no, recently at ninety three. Oh, oh, did she really? Oh, I yeah. didn't know that. But the one I would actually choose would be, would be the woman who was in Cat's Paw. Who played the uh, the uh, the witch? You know, like yeah, no, no, she was good, but but yeah. uh, to me, so, uh, that Romulan commander, she had the perfect mix yeah. of of poise, of smarts, of sexiness, of um, vulnerability. To me, she was perfect. Uh, she was I just agree. evil enough and just sympathetic enough to be just really intoxicating for the audience. She'd be my favorite. She was, and she was, and she was vulnerable too. Because right, you fell for Spock. You know, Spock fooled her. But anyway, what, what about in the next generation? The uh, uh, next generation, I think my favorite uh, female uh, probably is. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say Doctor Crusher. And my favorite female villain, I am going to say the uh, the Romulan Tasha Yar, played by Denise Crosby, when they have That's that an excellent choice. alternate yeah. timeline, you know, as a result of yesterday's yes. Enterprise. It would be, you know, Tasha Yar's daughter, a half Romulan daughter. That would be her. Uh, excellent choice. I like, as far as the, 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 the good one, I actually like the, the one Michelle Ford played, the, uh, oh, oh, the, uh, oh, God, what was her... Her species, <laughs> the uh, uh, now I can't remember, the lieutenant. Uh, yeah, she, oh, she had the dark hair. Bajoran. She, she was Ensign Rowe. Ensign Rowe. Ensign Rowe. Yeah, Ensign Rowe. Yeah, she was great. I both she on was pretty cool. She was great uh, on both Star Trek: The Next Generation and on Seinfeld. Both great in both series. Two great series of the 1990s. 800-848-WABC, taking the questions in the order in which they're received. Next up is Ron in Michigan. Hello, Ron. 
Hello, Frank. Frank, it's been about a month or two months that you've uh, not been. I have not been able to hear you, but you're coming in real clear today. Wonderful, great. But anyway, yes, Frank. I want to ask you if you ever read the book "The Lives of Hitler's Jewish Soldiers." Author's name is Rig R I G G S. In that book, he documents during World War II in Hitler's army there were Jewish generals, admirals, and every front they fought. Not many of them, but there was a substantial number of them, and they fought in every branch of the uh, German army, uh, combat, tanks. Yeah, uh, so the the short answer, Ron, is no. I have not read that book. I'm happy to look into it. That's not something I know anything about, honestly. Uh, I'm happy to look into it, but no, I have not read the book. 800-848-WABC. Pete is on Staten Island. Hello, Pete. Hi, Frank. I'm going to go down to the Borgata on... um uh on uh wednesday what rec- what what restaurants do you recommend i've been to the buffet i've been to about f- oh it's a great question years. what's your favorite food oh seafood seafood okay so it's my favorite restaurant at the borgata was sea blue but that closed C-Blue. unfortunately it's no longer there okay. the, in terms of restaurants that are still open especially since you mentioned seafood or steak for my money, the best restaurant at the Borgata is Old Homestead. It's a great oh, yes, steakhouse. Yes, that's where I want to go. The, go yep. there. Go there. You you will okay. not be disappointed. And, you know, and I'm an old school guy. I like old-fashioned restaurants, and I've been to the Old Homestead in Manhattan. I'll be honest with yes. you. I actually think the Borgata's Old Homestead is better than the Old Homestead in Manhattan. It's phenomenal. It, absolutely well, phenomenal. Well, do that. Go there. I heard you guys talking. You mentioned uh, about a couple of seconds ago about Frankie Russo. He's alive and well. I talked to him like one or two times a week, and uh, all is well. He's still in his college, you know, studies. He wants to be a professor and other things. And I'm sure we'll be hearing from him in the future. Wait, wait. The Frankie Russo that was on the radio is going to be a college professor? Well, he's been going to school for that nuclear. Uh, You're physics. kidding me. Yes, he's wait. very knowledgeable with that stuff. Wow. Well, I guess what they say is true, that higher education is going down the tubes, if that's the case. 800-848-WABC. One, two, three, four, five open lines. Gina in Brooklyn. Hello, Gina. Hi, Frank. Frank, I'm wondering, how did you decide to handle that friendship that you were talking about a couple of weeks back, the girl with bipolar who called very often? Well, I'll be honest with you, this is uh, it's a very sensitive subject, and I'll, I'll answer the question as candidly as I can. And if people don't know what Gene is talking about, I, I had a friend of mine, a relatively new friend, somebody that I just met in December, but uh, a very nice woman, somebody that I thought was very, very nice. And, um, you know, ultimately she, you know, became obsessive, became obsessed with me calling 40, 50 times in an hour, emailing me hundreds of times a day. And, um, you know, ultimately, I um, and, you know, she said a lot of really weird things uh, to me repeatedly. And then, um, you know, I I said, you know, uh, so and so I I can't really continue to do this. And she apologized and she said she has uh, bipolar disorder. And then, you know, I forgave her and still wanted to try to be her friend. She did it again and then again. And then ultimately, I hated to do this, uh, but after talking with a lot of folks and seeing kind of the, uh, for lack of a better description, the destructive influence that she was having on my friends and family, I, I blocked her 
from calling me. I blocked her email. I blocked her on Facebook. I blocked her on Twitter, blocked her on Instagram, blocked her on Facebook, blocked her on WhatsApp. And then uh, because, you know, she had heard that I discussed her on radio, she started complaining to the radio station that I had talked about her and uh, demanded that I apologize to her. And she made up that she had all these incriminating text messages uh, that I had sent her and I think said there was incriminating photos, basically implying that I had uh, tried to sleep with her or something. Um, so, uh, look, I, I I feel bad because this is clearly somebody that um, needs a friend and needs help. But uh, at the moment, given where I am in life and where she is, I, I, I'm not sure I'm the person that's best equipped to help her. And I feel bad for her and I, and I pray for her and I want her to get help and I want her to uh, do well, and um, I want to be friends with her again one day. But uh, unfortunately, I- I've not been able to continue speaking with her for the last few weeks because um, she's. Um, yeah, well, I don't want to say anything more because I don't want to say anything more that's going to lead her to email and call the station nine hundred times and then have our boss call me and ask me questions about the things that she's calling. But uh, I, I just wish her the best. I wish her the best, but uh, she and I are not currently in touch. All right, one, two, three, four, five open lines. We're doing an Ask Frank Anything. Whatever you have questions about, now's the time to ask it. And then, 2 o'clock, I'm excited, Dr. Sky, a rare Friday morning visit. How did I pull this off? Well, the answer lies not in... Your host, but in the stars. There is a meteor shower that you are going to get to enjoy in a couple of days. We'll get the details from Dr. Sky. I'm also going to ask him about the UFO hearings and a whole bunch of other stuff. I love Dr. Sky. I think his voice is phenomenal. I think his knowledge is phenomenal. And he's somebody that I wish was on the station every day. And he's going to join us for a full hour at 2 o'clock. So whatever your questions are about space... Ten minutes, get them ready, call back at two. But for now, if you have questions for me, if they're about things other than space, call me now. 800-848-WABC, one, two, three, four, five open lines. And whoever comes up with the most interesting question, the most creative question, we're going to give you a little prize. As determined by Matt Blaze, Philippe, and sometimes Alex Barnard. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is Johnny Kemp, just got paid. I think Friday uh, today is payday for us here at the radio station, so that's exciting. Help me pay my mortgage for June 1st. Uh, but, uh, by the way, we have, if you ever want to know what music we play on this show as bumper music, join our Facebook group. Just go on Facebook and type uh, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O radio fans and haters a few of you have been emailing and sms text messaging questions in i'm not going to get to those within the next seven minutes if you want put those in the facebook group and i'll endeavor either today or over the course of the weekend to answer those questions either via text or via video in the facebook group so if you want to see those responses just go to 
just go on Facebook and search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. What we're going to do now is we're answering your questions on any subject in the order in which they're received. So whoever's on hold longest, whether they've got a good question, a bad question, I'm taking those questions in the order they're received. And whoever comes up with the best question, we're going to give you a little prize. Uh, Let me say hello to LQ in the Bronx. Hello, LQ. Good morning, Mr. Morano. Uh, my question is uh, with the this gun issue that you know and, and so forth with, uh, the, that's going on uh, for Governor Como uh, of Hoko, uh Can she uh, put that the change the age to 18 years old that they cannot get assault rifles? Can she do anything towards that? Well, um, no, she would need the help of the legislature. You know, I'm not a constitutional scholar, but I uh, do know a thing or two about New York law. And um, my understanding is she would need the New York state legislature to go along with her on that. She's proposed exactly what you described. So um, I think uh, there's a good chance that it might happen. I don't see much resistance in the Assembly or the Senate. Joe in Poughkeepsie. Hello, Joe. Hi, I was wondering if you had seen the movie 2,000 Mules. Uh, It's on my list for this weekend. I I didn't see it initially because I didn't want to spend the $30, and my brother-in-law, Josh, came through, and he sent me a login to be able to see it that he got from his uncle. So it's on my list for this weekend. I'm going to do a whole hour on this, hopefully next week, with somebody, hopefully from the movie and someone that uh, is a fact-checker that has some issues with some of the things that are in the film. So, no, I haven't seen it yet. They are going to do a a screening at the Women's Republican Club next week. I may go to that, but um, I haven't seen it yet. And uh, when I do, I'll give you my unvarnished opinion, and then we're going to do hopefully a whole hour on it that takes a look at all the claims being made in that uh, that film. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Yeah, Frank. I like Frankie Russo teaching college, uh... Uh, next, we're going to hear Curtis today. We're being in charge of the English department. That's right. He's uh, Curtis giving elocution lessons. That's the that's right, the next right. step. <laughs> One thing about Letitia James, uh, it, it seems she has this vendetta against the Trumps. Uh, I don't know if they did anything wrong in their businesses. Maybe they did. If they did, they should be held accountable. But there's plenty of other politicians uh, that she should be going after. Uh, the mayor with the Operation Thrive. I mean, it's a billion dollars is missing. Uh, her old lieutenant governor, uh, who just got indicted, uh, uh, even the Bidens. I mean, you talk about a corrupt uh, family. Uh, what is he with her? Do you really think that she's going to make so many points to propel herself into a higher office? Well, I, I think, um, I, I think you know, you sort of asked two questions there, Neil. I think the reason she's going after the Trumps, she doesn't care about the Trumps. I mean, I'm sure she's not crazy about Donald Trump and didn't vote for him. But she's no more enthused about going after Donald Trump than she is about anybody else. Letitia James is an incredibly ambitious politician that I have no doubt wants to be governor one day and president one day. And she knows how unpopular Donald Trump is in New York State. And my belief is that she thinks that going after Donald Trump, no matter what, is politically popular in New York. And unfortunately... I think she's right. And when we've done these call, when we've done these forums with legal experts, we've explored the idea of whether or not prosecutors should even be elected because this is what happens. 
you end up having prosecutors that do these politically driven prosecutors, Donald, uh, these uh, politically driven prosecutions. Donald Trump's not popular in New York, and I think Tish James knows that, and she wants to ride that wave to the governor's mansion and maybe beyond that. 800-848-WABC. Let me squeeze in at least one more before we get to uh, before we get to Dr. Sky. Andrea is in Bergen County. Hello, Andrea. Oh, hi. Thanks, Frank, for taking my call. You had a show on recently in which you talked about people only using about 800 words in their everyday conversation, and you wanted to elevate that. You had people calling in with uh, unusual words. I wondered, did you ever put together a list of maybe the top three, five, or ten words? Uh, yes, that- I, I put together a list of all the words, actually, and I'm going to post that on the, in the Facebook group this weekend. It's a great question. Dave in Manhattan, real quick, what's your question? Yeah, Frank, um, Atlantic City, you ever stay at the Hard Rock? Yes, I've stayed at every hotel in Atlantic City. Uh, okay, well... I um, went the last three weeks just for a couple of days each week, and you know how they answer the security deposit, and you get it back after you stay? Yes. Well, I've never gotten my security uh, deposit back, so I called them, and they told me, well, you got you got to pay hotel hotel taxes plus New Jersey taxes. Right, and resort I said, okay, correct. Right. So... They tell you you're going to get your deposit back, but you actually don't? Is that how it works? No, no. Um, you you got to talk to your credit card company if that's the case. No. If it's a deposit, you get your deposit back. Matt Blaze, do you have a selection for best uh, best question or Philippe? Yeah, I, I like Eddie from Ocean County about uh, Staten Island seceding from New York City. Eddie in Ocean County, call back. We'll give you a prize. 800-848-WABC. Questions about space. Questions about meteors. Questions about UFOs. Sky's the limit. Oh, no. Beyond the sky's the limit. Because Dr. Sky is here. Until next hour, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. If we were a radio, if we gave out monthly MVP awards as a radio station, there is not a doubt as to who would receive the month of May's MVP award. Um, So many people had questions about the lunar eclipse. They wanted to know what exactly it was that we were actually seeing. They wanted to know the best way to see it. They want to know the best way to see it if there was cloud cover, if there was poor weather. And the guy that came through in spades with every lunar eclipse uh, eclipse answer that he was equipped to answer was Steve Cates, a.k.a. Dr. Sky. And um, he was a gem, not only on this show, but on the uh, the Cats at Night show and the Cats Roundtable as well. We're very, very fortunate to be able to tap into his expertise. He's a veteran radio and TV broadcaster and an edutainer with a great deal of expertise in astronomy and space. 
Very kind to uh, stay up late with us on a Friday morning or get up early, I guess, depending on your perspective. Steve, it is great to talk with you again. Thanks so much for joining me. Well, thank you. Always a pleasure to be back here on 77 WABC. And Frank, I hope uh, you and the listeners got the chance to see that eclipse. Again, great information from this wonderful subject that we talk about. And I do appreciate uh, all the nice, uh, you know, callers that call in on these subject matters. Well, so a lot of folks in our area were a little irked that they couldn't get a clear view of the eclipse because of the cloud cover or Mm -hmm. the weather conditions in in general. I know you were watching this in Arizona. What was your view of the eclipse like? Well, the weather forecast here in Phoenix was supposed to be good. And luckily for us, we moved up to Sedona to do an event. And there, the clouds continued to creep. So we were looking at it, to be always honest with this audience, through a partly cloudy sky. And as the main event took place, well, you know, clouds came, just like I'm sure many of the listeners here on 77 WABC. But we got a few interesting images out of it. And what I thought, Frank, was so impressive about this is as I'm looking through this particular, at this eclipse, through the telescope, right along the lunar limb are stars And a few of them are just hanging on the edge of the lunar mountains. And as the moon slides across the sky, you could watch them disappear. And if you waited about an hour, you'd see them pop out the other side. But just a surreal experience. But the next one on the calendar is scheduled for the morning of November the 8th. And hopefully we'll be talking about that in great deal. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, A lot of stuff that I want to get to over the course of the next hour. I want to give people an opportunity to call in with questions as well. If they have questions related to the stars, uh, questions related to space or anything else, they can call us 800-848-WABC for the hour. That's 800-848-9222. But one of the reasons that I was eager to do uh, chat with you today is because we're actually going to be off on Monday, and there's going to be a big meteor shower on May 30th going into May 31st. Uh, give us the lowdown on what what's, what's exactly happening, what folks can expect to see, and what the best way for them is to see it. Well, Frank, this is an interesting story. It's been popping up in all different areas in the media. And I tried to take this serious at first and saying, you know, we hear about this meteor shower months ago, and a potential storm. So always giving accurate information here on this radio show, 77 WABC, as we talk with you and the listeners. Here's what's supposedly going to happen. And again, I'm not a snake oil salesman, nor am I trying to be, because when you get into the media prediction business, you got to be very careful. So here's the scoop of what the media is saying and qualified people in the astronomy world. There is a potential, a high potential, that is, of seeing not a shower but a storm all from a comet called Comet 73P. This was the 73rd comet that ever, they call them periodic comets, that has an orbit calculated. And what's interesting about this comet, it's called Swazman Wachmann. It was discovered in 1930 in Germany. Kind of a garden variety comet. Remember, these are like dirty snowballs about a mile and a half in diameter. And the astronomers then, when they were taking images, they weren't really looking for a comet, they were looking for asteroids, and they find this thing. So move forward, fast forward into time. We find out that the Hubble Space Telescope got an image of this object, this comet 73P, in 1995, and guess what they see? They see the nucleus of this particular comet starting to disintegrate, so large chunks were breaking off. So where we get the prediction analysis for a potential meteor shower or a storm is they look at the orbit and go backwards, and they know just like that at the tailpipe of a car, exhaust coming out, carbon monoxide and other compounds, This material is like little tiny pebbles and maybe even large chunks the size of a fist or more. 
the Earth is supposed to intercept that stream of particles from the 1995, you know, removal of particles. Now, here's what's interesting about this. The predictions are, and we'll be very careful and very accurate in our predictions here, if you're going to look for this, hopefully over the holiday weekend, if you have a chance to look for East Coast time, they're predicting, that is the astronomers, that the intensity of the showers we pass through this big stream of particles is probably best at 1 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time on the morning of the 31st. For us here in Arizona, that's going to translate to 10 p.m. on the 30th. So where would you look? Now, hoping a clear sky, everybody in this listening audience has, you would go outside. You don't even need a pair of binoculars. You might want them. This is a naked eye event, but you need the darkest possible skies. So if you live in the bright lights of cities, well, expect not to see as much as you would in the country. That's common sense. So where would you look? You'd look high up into the southern part of the sky, from east coast all the way across the United States. The place where this is going to be best seen, now I'm not discounting the east coast at all, because nobody's sure exactly how much particles are going to come through. They're predicting, the astronomers, that looking overhead, this meteor shower or storm would be most intense for people watching it. If you were, let's say, in Baja, California, or us here in the West, but also all of North America, Frank, has an opportunity to see it. Now, here's a, here's a way to really look at this. High up in the southern sky, right at the times I gave, and moving into the southwest at this time for the east coast, is a bright star called Arcturus. So if people go, like we mentioned on our KTAR.com, you know, the Dr. Sky blog, you can download a little star chart, and you can do that. It's free. It's a little paper star chart, but it'll help you find it or use your smartphone. That's the area to look. So without a lot of words, you'd get a reclining chair. Hopefully you're in dark skies, no matter where you're listening. And if anything is going to happen, it could be an intense stream of particles because they're predicting that the particle stream, Frank, is going to come as close to the Earth as 33,000 miles. But again, on the cautious side, because I'd love to be invited back here and not do a crazy prediction, <laughs> it could be one or two meteors or, but wait, let me explain this because this is where the possibility of something big comes. And I take it credible with what I've read in many of these things that the astronomers are putting out and in the media. In 1833, before he was president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln experienced an intense meteor shower slash storm called the Leonids. That's the one that happens every November. He was asleep, supposedly, as the story goes, and he heard rustling and people talking around 2 a.m., 3 a.m. in the dark of night, the bewitching hour, like 3 a.m. Lo and behold, people came out. They didn't have a lot of city lights. And, Frank, I'm not making this up. Hundreds of thousands of meteors were seen per hour. Wow. Fast forward to the West in 1966. The Leonids roared once again. Friends of mine and people I know who saw this were at Kitt Peak near Tucson. That night, they were predicting a meteor storm. Nothing much happened during the night except on the morning <clears throat> excuse me, of November the 17th. People looked and said, wow, there's nothing happening. At around 5.40 a.m. Mountain Time, over 500,000 meteors per hour in this short stream of about 20 or 30 minutes happened. So the bottom line is you never know what to expect. So if you have an opportunity, folks listening, Frank and everybody, why not try it? But the darker skies are obviously common sense. But this could be something good. But you know how finicky the predictions could be. We're saying it's probably worth watching. And you learn a lot anyway by looking up. Steve, um, for my own ignorance and maybe for the clarity of a lot of people listening, what exactly is the difference between a meteor shower and a meteor storm? Good question. 
if we're looking at rates that are probably over 1,000 meteors per hour, now some may take me to task and say, well, anything over 100 meteors per hour is going to be a storm. But according to reliable sources, and these are the things, I've watched these things for so many years. I'm 66 young years. I started doing this, I'm sure, like many listeners out there. I was up 10 years old. Actually, I saw right in New York City when I lived in Jackson Heights, not far from the Boulevard Watch Factory. I remember this like it was yesterday. We watched the Leonid shower of one of those years back in the 60s, and we could see it. But they're saying now meteor, meteor storms are probably differentiated by something, let's say, over 1,000 meteors per hour. Now, some may say, well, if you see a couple of hundred an hour, it's a storm. But these things are very finicky because what you're looking at, think of it in three dimension. In space, you're looking at if you close your eyes, hopefully you're not driving. But you would say that in this big dust stream, there's a bunch of particles coming off this comet, moving around in this orbit. And some of them are very tightly packed and some are loose. But when you have predictions that the orbital plane of this comet, 73P, brings that stuff within 33,000 miles of the Earth, I think it's well worth watching. So a meteor shower is probably your regular ones, like you have Perseids, you have Orionids. They may start off with maybe upwards of 10 or 20 an hour, maybe even 50 to 100. But in my prediction, anything over about 1,000 would be a storm. But remember, they don't. sometimes they're not going to go 100, maybe 1,000 an hour for the entire night. So you could be watching, like I said before, and see relatively few, and then, uh-oh, here comes the storm. So it's probably worth watching. 800-848-WABC if you have questions about anything space-related. That's 800-848-9222. My guest is Dr. Sky, Steve Cates. You could check out his blog at ktar.com. There's a ton of great material on there, and uh, he's the guy that helped us guide us through the uh, lunar eclipse, and now he's doing the same thing with the meteor shower. Uh, A lot of people already queuing up. We have two open phone lines remaining. Now, I read this article in Axios this week, Steve, about how big the space business is. When a lot of us think about space, we tend to think of things like NASA, the the importance historically of the moon landing in 1969, and a lot of government efforts towards space exploration. It's just relatively recently that we've started to look towards space exploration as being the domain of the private sector as well. Folks like Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson and Elon Musk, um, they are predicting that space could actually be a $10 trillion private sector business by 2040? Yes, and that's interesting because look at this. I mean, we're going through this terrible thing with inflation and blah, 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 gas prices all over. We're going through these tough times, and God bless everybody you know, who goes through this, all of us. But in the space area, for many people who thought, oh, this isn't worth it, it seems to be where a lot of the private, you know, private money is going, and the predictions are trillions of dollars by maybe 2040, upwards of maybe $10 trillion of what? Revenue, that's, that, that's sales, revenue, and things like that. So, you know, I'm not in the stockbroker field or stock market myself right now, but I'm just saying that this is something that people really should take a look at because not only the space tourism, we're talking about the ability to launch spacecraft, low-Earth orbit, Cheaper, better, you know, hopefully they have to reduce the dollar amount. It used to be like, you know, for every pound in space, it used to be some figure like $10,000 a pound just to get it off the earth. That's changed dramatically. And we have to give Boeing Corporation some real credit. They launched over the last week or so one of their Starliner, the second attempt. 
It's basically a spacecraft that can take upwards of seven astronauts up to the International Space Station and other uses as you maybe go around the moon. It's actually larger than the Apollo capsule, but not as large as NASA's Orion capsule. And what's great about this, Frank, is that it made a successful docking, even though this was the second attempt, with the International Space Station. And the astronauts on board and cosmonauts on board the International Space Station they knew this, but there was a big surprise when they opened the hatch. It was unmanned except for a dummy, and you really can't call her that. She's just an anthropomorphic you know, figure, a science experiment. Her name is Rosie the Rocketeer, and she was loaded with all kinds of instruments, which is interesting to talk about habitation and space and all kinds of things that we need to know. So we see this trend happening, and obviously it seems like it's a real, real powerful trend, wouldn't you think, that things are going to move light speed. But I've also heard the other day something else that's kind of of concern. China is now looking at the potential, at least that's what we read on the Internet. We don't always believe everything, that they may look at a way to destroy, and that's a strong word this early in the morning, the Starlink satellites because they're being so – they're utilized, what, to help the uh, – in the Ukrainian war, we're helping, or the Starlink is helping them get data where they need it and acquisition of targets – but they're also possibly thinking that this could be something that if we need to take down something in space, well, imagine that, shooting down Elon Musk satellites. That's a pretty nasty mm. thing to do. But space is a great frontier. And obviously, from the financial side, it looks like it has, you know, it's obviously a positive thing for the future. All right. 800-848-WABC. A ton of folks lined up with questions. We'll try and squeeze in as many as we can. Frank is on Staten Island. Frank, you're on with Steve Cates, a.k.a. Dr. Scott. Hi, I just had a question. Are we going to be able to see the meteor event if we have rain all weekend? <laughs> well, let's put it this way. You need clear skies. You'd have a different kind of showers there, Frank. Good morning. <laughs> But obviously, as we look into the sky, again, the real secret to this is nobody really knows for sure. But if I were a betting man, and I'm betting on this, that it'll be absolutely something to see. Uh, you're going to have to wait for those clouds to pass because those showers are not the kind we're talking about here. All right. Thank you, Frank. Appreciate it. 800-848-WABC. Patricia is in Westchester. Hello, Patricia. Uh, hello. Good evening. I have a question on the lunar eclipse. Uh, yes. Good morning. Uh, the Earth revolves around the sun counterclockwise, correct? Correct, correct. And the, the moon revolves around the earth counterclockwise. Yes. So for the eclipse, the earth comes between the moon and the sun. Is yes. it because the earth is moving between the two or the moon is moving behind the earth and it's the moon that causes it? Which of the two bodies causes the shade? Well, you're a very good question, Patricia, and good morning to you. Here, here's the answer on this. All these objects are moving through space. The Earth's going around the sun. The moon, of course, is orbiting around the Earth. So you have that, what I call sacred geometry. You have to have the Earth, when it casts its big shadow out into space, the moon needs to cut into that dark shadow. We call that the umbra. And depending on the type of eclipse, this was a total lunar eclipse, it went really centrally through that. So the simple geometry is this. The sun's out there, the earth's in the middle, and the moonlight is blocked by the earth. And if, again, if I've said this a thousand times, and I'll repeat it proudly, if you're on the surface of the moon looking back at the earth, Patricia, you would see an object four times the size of our full moon that we see in our sky with this gigantic red glow around the edges of the earth. 
and it's all because of that perfect alignment. So all these objects are moving. It just happens rarely or semi-rarely that they all line up to that 180-degree lineup. But again, Earth and the Moon are constantly moving in orbit. Thank you, Patricia. 800-848-WABC. We have two open lines. We're going to try and get to as many of your calls as we can. I have a number of questions about what's happening in the night sky. We'll find out what else you can look forward to seeing in the night sky for those of you that are interested in that sort of thing or just interested in knowing what's happening. Even if you don't want to take out your telescope yourself, you just want to know what's happening in the sky. Steve Cates is here for the hour, a.k.a. Dr. Sky. Check out his blog, KTAR.com. He is a regular contributor to this program, a regular contributor to the Cats at Night show, and uh, somebody that we're very, very lucky to be able to tap into his expertise. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. That is East of the Sun. If you want to know what's East of the Sun that you can actually see, the guy to talk to about it is Steve Cates, a.k.a. Dr. Sky. You can check out his blog at KTAR.com. He's our shepherd in terms of what you can see in the night sky, and uh, there's nobody more knowledgeable. There's also nobody in radio that has a better voice. We're going to try and answer as many of your questions as we can this hour. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Speaking of the sun, Steve, um, we always get a lot of questions about solar activity, especially those of us that are interested in radio and on the radio. There's always some concerns that things like solar flares could affect the radio listening experience that a lot of people are enjoying. What's going on with respect to solar activity at the moment? Well, solar activity, Frank, in cycle 25 is really cooking. And it may be that this particular solar cycle, I think we mentioned in our last episode, that it may be 30% higher than cycle 24. But what does that mean to everybody out there listening? Right now, a large sunspot group known as Active Region 3014 has just moved off the sun. It was there for about a week. And it was gigantic. And if you measured the distance or diameter, I should say diameter more correctly, of this sunspot group, it was a third of the distance from the Earth to the moon, which is pretty incredible, or about the size of the diameter of the planet Jupiter. But we expect it. It's one of the largest sunspot groups in this cycle, big. With the naked eye, not recommending people stare at the sun, but if you had those solar glasses, you know, the proper ones, I did this, you know, you stared at the sun with those solar glasses, and I could see that spot with the naked eye. 
Now, it didn't produce any gigantic X-level flares. That's important. Why? We don't know. But I can predict this, and again, this is really true. We see that this solar cycle will be much more intense. What's coming around on the left edge of the sun, we don't know. But sometimes astronomers get this te technique where they use, it's, it's like a magnetic type of a, a device that they can see basically what magnetic fields are on the other side of the sun. So they predict that a few new biggies are coming. But when these things blow, and we've talked about it before, and maybe somebody's a first-time listener, when these sunspots actually just, the magnetic fields just cross. Imagine, imagine the power of even one small flare, like maybe 100 million atomic bombs, the energy. It's just incredible, the power of the sun. And remember, the sun is an average-sized star. So imagine some of these megastars that are out there. But directly, if we get hit directly with a solar flare, as we, as we know, lots of damage in this digital world that we live in, our cell phones, the gas pumps with horrible gas prices, but imagine not even being able to get gas mm. because the entire infrastructure was wiped out because of flare and flare activity. We obviously live in a deep digital world, but just be on the alert. There's not much you can do about it. I mean, it's ridiculous to tell people, well, watch the skies. That's a beautiful thing, but we know in this digital world that with satellites and everything we depend on out there, we probably, sadly say, not to sound depressing, are in store for some pretty hellacious mm. times when the solar cycle peaks around 2025. Now, a lot of folks may hear our discussion. We're talking about solar flares, solar activities, meteor showers, uh, lunar eclipses, and they may say, all right, well, what does this matter? How does what's happening in space and in the solar system specifically, how does that have any impact on the lives that people are living here on Earth? Well, it's a very good question. And the argument from the negative side is that we spend all this money and we don't see any real results. But again, not being paid by any space agency or any government agency, I can just say this. The strides that we've made in studying zero gravity, some of the things we've learned in how to produce better chemicals in space that we need here on the Earth, obviously machines and thinking of how to work with inertial machines, you know, things that are like, you know, perpetual motion machines, we're learning a lot. But it takes time for this to transmit. It's just the same story that we could say when we went back to the development of the electric light bulb, Thomas Edison, and even the telephone. We looked at that and didn't see an immediate gratification. So it takes a lot of time. But what makes this more difficult right now, and I certainly agree with a lot of people, there's certainly a lot of social problems and financial problems here on the earth. So I'm hoping that maybe some of that money can translate in making lives of people much better, as we talked about maybe a $10 trillion space industry, Hopefully, that'll translate to making lives here on the Earth a lot better. And always, like the great discoverers of the past, it's probably what, in the, Frank, in the, in the human gene to want to continue to explore, to find new worlds. Mm. And who said it best? The late Stephen Hawking said in so many words through his synthesized voice, we really need to get off this planet and explore other worlds because obviously it doesn't look like we have the resources right. or we really can't get along. A lot of people queued up to speak with you. Let's try and get to as many of them as we can. 800-848-WABC. Robert is in Calverton. Robert, you're on with Steve Cates. Good morning, Robert. Good morning. I had a close meteor experience. Did you ever have one? Meaning a seeing one or actually like getting close to one on the ground? A seeing one in the sky you're referring to, Robert? Yes, at low altitude. I have, and it was back in April of 1966 almost to be. I think at the date, I can almost remember this like it was yesterday. Boy, do I remember a lot of yesterdays, Frank. <laughs> I think it was April 25th, 1966. We were in 
New Jersey, I never forget this, with my parents, they were looking at houses, and I don't think the houses cost more than about forty dollars or $50,000 then, not like today. But anyway, we're sitting outside, and I was bored, literally sitting inside listening to all the talk. So my sister and I sat outside, and lo and behold, we're looking out in the sky, and we saw Venus. I knew that then. I was young. And get a load of this. A fireball streaked across the sky, and I can tell you, Robert, I actually heard the thing sizzle, and it's documented that it actually supposedly crashed in Canada. Now, that's my story. Let me hear yours. Yes, a uh, similar story. One evening in the 90s, I happened to step outside and look up at the sky, see the stars, planets, etc. And all of a sudden, I hear a sizzling sound. And yeah. I look, I look, and I just happen to look in the right place, straight up from the south. A meteor comes in at low altitude, I can only estimate, like 5,000 feet. Mm-hmm. Brilliant, red and green. Yeah. And it sounded like a firework. But there was no fireworks around, <laughs> except from the sky. That's a different kind of firework, right? <laughs> yes. And, and I saw it, like, I'll call it flame out. And I thought maybe I was going to hear an explosion in a few seconds, but I never did. So I guess it burned up in the atmosphere. Probably. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's pretty common. But here's another two ones that I didn't see these. And I forget the exact date, Robert and Frank. But back in the night, I think it was in the 90s, if somebody can correct me if they have their computer there. There was one that fell on Glastonbury, Connecticut, and one up in Peekskill, New York, not too far from where the station is right now. And actually, the most historic one, sad to say, there's never been a human being supposedly killed by a meteorite fall. There was an alleged person in India that supposedly was killed. But the most horrific one, or the most dramatic one, was a woman sitting in Alabama. She was sitting watching television, and it actually came through her roof, maybe the size of like a basketball. Now, can you you imagine, Robert, that experience? She became instantly wealthy because... If you find one of these on your property, some of these, not not kidding, are worth a lot of money. And that's not why we're in the business. But there's a guy, and I don't want to name him because this gentleman is really one of the connoisseurs of meteorites. He goes all over the world to find them. He allegedly dug up one in Africa, and they chased him. and They put him in jail for a while because he was actually trying to take like a crane and pick this big thing up the size of a small car. But uh, – your experience, Robert, is pretty wild, just like mine. I'll never forget it. And if anybody ever has one of those experiences, count yourself lucky because they're few and far between, at least the sizzling kind. Yes, and also the smoke trail. That was incredible. Mm-hmm. It, it, must, it, must, it had to be like 5,000 feet or less. Above. I'll bet you you're right. And probably the size of it, get a load of this, folks, is probably, and this is not a guess, this is fairly accurate, a object that's maybe the size of a, maybe half the size of a basketball, let's say a grapefruit. It could do that kind of a light show, but the one that supposedly came back in 66 that sizzled over, it came from the south. It came from like over Virginia, over New Jersey. Everybody in New York City would have seen it, and then it just made that. I'll never forget it. It was like that sizzling, snapping sound, and if you had a radio on then, I guarantee you it would have made the radio station either fade out or crackle because of the, it's, in, it's actually sending out an electromagnetic pulse of its own. Thank you, Robert. Appreciate it. 800-848-WABC. Richard is on Long Island. Hello, Richard. 
Hey, Frank, and hey, Dr. Sky. Um, Good morning. I have, a, I have a question about um, the constellations that are, you know, going to be notably seen in, in the changing summer sky. You know, yeah. I mean, over the years, you know, I can always identify the the big and little dipper, Orion Schultz, sure. but, you know, what are some of the constellations that are notably going to be able to be seen, and, and what are some, you know, what are the best ways to identify them, I guess? Great question, and we'll start off with what's visible in the summer skies. And from your area, this is what we're talking about. As June moves on, the solstice of summer begins. Clear nights, look around, and I'm going to say this in, in two times, different times. Look to the south in, let's say, mid-June, right after, I don't know, maybe 11 p.m. You'll be able to see in the summer sky the constellation Scorpius, though low in the south. You know, this is amazing, Richard and Frank. This is a constellation that really looks like a scorpion if you're in dark enough skies. And just to the left of it, again, darker the sky, the better, naturally, no, 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 no doubt, is the central hub of the Milky Way. It's in Sagittarius the Archer. Now, we're out here in Arizona. We have fairly good skies. From Phoenix, from New York, you have a difficult time seeing with bright lights. But that's a good thing to start off with. Look, and a pair of binoculars will show you. But again, if you go to our KTAR.com blog over there, just go to the menu, not only is there an update, Frank and, and Richard, on this whole meteor theoretical storm or what may happen, that's my lead article, you can just download a little star chart that's nice to have in your hand, which will show you all the constellations that are out there. So Scorpius and Sagittarius are the two major ones for the summer season. And don't miss it. If you take a trip, let's say, up to dark skies, let's up in New York State mm. or anywhere you're listening, I guarantee you one thing, Frank, there's nothing more magnificent than Richard looking at the summer Milky Way from the dark skies of Arizona, it appears like there are thunderclouds in the sky. And with the scanning of the binoculars and no moonlight, you want to pick a night with no moonlight, you don't want to leave. I don't want that kind of night to end, and I don't think you guys would want that night to end. Either. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Uh, talking with Steve Cates, a.k.a. Dr. Sky, 800-848-WABC. Steve, since the last time you were here, we've seen uh, Congress hold these so-called UFO hearings for the first time in half a century. Most people, whether they're skeptics of the UAP issue or whether they tend to be believers that that there's life out there and maybe even life that has visited our planet, they didn't seem to think that these UAP hearings moved the needle much at all. What was your take on on this? Absolutely, Frank. I don't let my blood boil too much, and I'll keep myself under control here. But I was kind of disappointed, and maybe I shouldn't expect or anybody too much from this. I mean, we have government agencies testifying in front of other government officials. That's great. And we're saying there's 400 of these sightings that we really can't identify the, the detail. It's, we now know it could be a national security issue. But here's what they do. After that, they go into the closed hearings. I'd love to be the fly on the wall because this is the part that I was disappointed in. And maybe they'll do it again. Let's hope. What about testimony from people who've seen these things? And listen to the detailed testimony. And the specific ones that I talk about with John Castamatidis on his program and and all other programs on this, particularly with John, because he likes this kind of stuff, and so do a lot of people. We want to hear. We want to hear the truth. That's exactly what we want to hear. But the most prolific one that I think we can still talk about is a gentleman that I've talked to many times, his book, Faded Giant. This particular gentleman, Captain Silas, or Salas, he was there at Malstrom Air Force Base in 1967 when the blue light came out of the sky. We don't make this stuff up. It went over the Minuteman missiles at that particular, or, or, or flight, as they call it, of these Minuteman missiles. 
And the MPs were all on the radio chatter. Look at the blue thing. What is it? It summarily shut down every one of these nuclear devices, nuclear weapons, the Minuteman-type missiles in the ground. And when technicians came from these companies that, you know, support this, there was big, gigantic, you know, wire harnesses fried. I mean, why, when are we going to ever hear about this stuff? And, and I wonder, Frank, I mean, your opinion and everybody else's out there. I wouldn't run and bury my head under my pillow right. if I found out that there's extraterrestrial existence. What's the big secret? But I was just a little disappointed, and I know I didn't get, you know, in two seconds an answer. But I'm a, I'm a little bit disturbed by that, that we heard government officials testifying to government officials about what we don't know and what we think we don't know, but then they go in a closed hearing. Right. What, what was the rest of that hearing? We'll never know that, yeah. right? No, it's a great question. 800-848-WABC. Bill is in Huntington. Hello, Bill. Okay. In 2002, there was a TV show named Firefly, okay? And I found the DVD set series from this, and I spent a day watching it. Yes. And what I learned was that the premise of the show is that humanity has migrated to another solar system. Mm -hmm. And this solar system has 13 habitable planets. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yes. Okay. What do you think is the maximum number of habitable, habitable planets in a solar system? Interesting. It all depends on the size of the star. And if we go on the large scale, here's the answer that I would give. If we go around a big supergiant star that's not radiating enough energy, it's probably less likely mm -hmm. that from our standpoint, Bill, that we would think that there's habitable planets. But on the other side, most astronomers today believe this. This is interesting, that the red dwarf star systems might have the habitation planets, and maybe that could support, who knows, maybe more than our own solar system. We know from exoplanets, these are the objects orbiting other stars, that some of them are larger than the Earth, I don't have the exact, you know, description. There's like long numbers for these things. People can look it up. But there's one called the water planet that they think is just a planetary object that's 100% water. But one of the best areas that people can check out, go on the web and look up the TRAPPIST system. It's named after a special, you know, a group of uh, research uh, scientists and astronomers. There's a TRAPPIST system that's not that many, you know, far away from us that may still have a good number of what they call habitable planets. How many? It's dependent, again, on what type of star is supposedly supporting the life there. That's a good answer. Thank you, Bill. 800-848-WABC. Isabel in Manhattan has been patiently holding. Hello, Isabel. Hi, Frank. And hello, Mr. Sky. Good morning. Dr. Sky. Thank you, um, I have I have two questions, if I may. Sure, please. They're connected. Um, how fast does the Earth turn? Okay, and then the second question? Oh, I want the answer first. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, it depends where you are. If you're rolling through space, the Earth's moving around in space at about 66,000 miles per hour. The Earth's rotating on its axis. Probably if you get toward, let's say, the closest part to the equator, maybe over 1,000 miles per hour, you go up to the latitude of New York, and we're probably, and I'm not guessing, but I'm not, I'm not 100% certain, Somewhere maybe in the six or 700-mile-per-hour rotation, go to the North Pole, and obviously there's zero rotation if you're standing right at the North Pole. So the Earth is moving through space in, in three different things. The Earth's turning, the Earth's revolving around the sun, and the sun's dragging the entire solar system through space. So it's like a three-part system. 
Right. Wow. So how can we walk on the street and not feel anything? Mm. Well, very interesting question, because what happens is gravity seems to balance us out. But if the Earth automatically just shut down, let's say all of a sudden it had a braking action, like, you know, really new brake shoes and brake pads on a car. <laughs> every, everything, Isabel, would literally just take off and jolt. And we would not want to see. That would be my biggest nightmare to think about in this early hour. Don't you think? <laughs> and Isabel, no, you have some you have some very good questions. And, and it's you. very interesting. I just want to leave you with this positive thought that when you look at the nighttime sky and you see things rising in the east and you sit out, let's say, on a beautiful summer night and you see the moon rise, what's really happening is the earth is turning from west to east. So the illusion in the sky that you're seeing is the turning of the earth as it's rolling, let's say, and you're in the New York area. From where I'm in Phoenix, I'm rolling, we're all static, but we're rolling in the direction, say, from west to east. The illusion in the sky is the sky is moving to the right that's the illusion that you see on the earth. So the earth's turning west to east. Thank you, right. Isabel. 800-848-WABC. We're going to continue with your questions in a minute. I have a number of questions for uh, Steve Cates, a.k.a. Dr. Sky, as well. 800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. One of the unsung musical geniuses of this or any other century with her hit song, Stars Are Blind, a very apropos selection because we're talking a little bit about what's happening with the stars with a fellow that knows it better than anybody, Steve Cates, a veteran radio and TV broadcaster and edutainer. We call him Dr. Sky. He's got a lot of expertise in astronomy and space. If you want to check out his blog, you can go to KTAR.com. We're going to get back to your calls in just a minute. And for the next 14 minutes, we're going to try and squeeze in as many of your calls as we can at 800-848-WABC. Steve, I did read something interesting this week regarding an evolving view of the expansion of the universe. And I'll be honest, this was one of those articles that I read twice because I wasn't sure I quite comprehended it. And I said, all right, well, hopefully we can have Steve on uh, this week and he can explain this for me. What do we mean in general when we say the universe is expanding? And what are these images from Voyager 1 telling us about the rate of expansion of the universe? 
Well, Frank, this is a very interesting story. In the short time we have, this is basically what's happening. There's a thing in, the, in astronomy called the Hubble constant, and it's something that we predict by looking at spectrum of stars, you know, the color spectrum. The farther shift to the right, the, the alleged farther distance the object is. So the Hubble constant, it's a, it's a velocity at a distance, and it's like a constant that they talk about. So here it is. The old number was 65 kilometers a second for every megaparsec. All right, that sounds like a lot of words. A parsec is 3.26 light years. Why is that important? In the old days, when they tried to measure distances of stars, it's like looking at the other side of a triangle. So that little separation or wiggle at the end of the triangle, a star would be, or it's, it's parsec, or it's, its movement, would be one little arc second at 3.26 light years. So astronomers say that that's a measuring distance in the universe. So the 65 kilometers per second per megaparsec was a standard of recession. Now they're saying something strange. They're saying it could be up to 74 kilometers per second per megaparsec. Why is that important? Because apparently there's some, there's some phenomenon out there. I mean, maybe that's the poor choice of words this early in the morning. But there's something out there that we really don't understand. This is dark energy. The farther something is moving away from the big, I should say, big expansion, otherwise known as the Big Bang, you would imagine that over time, like you throw a rock into a calm lake or a stream or whatever, the ripples end. What's happening in something in gravity is forcing the thing to go faster. That's strange. And Einstein, and all his genius, tried to figure out something. What's gluing all these galaxies and holding matter together in space? He called it spooky action at a distance. That might be the subject of dark matter. So what we're talking about here, Frank, is just something amazing. We know so much, but we know so little. Isn't that a fair statement? Mm. So that's really what's going on in the universe right now. And it gets way more complicated. I mean, obviously, this would take more time to explain this in detail. But when we have the CERN accelerator, that's looking at this so-called God particle called this, you know, this Higgs boson, as we call it, a boson. This is a particle in matter, like a tiny little thing in, in, as we get into quantum mechanics. What is it? It's a particle associated with something called a Higgs field. Why is this important? It transmits matter to things that travel through it. And to make it even simpler, it's that how things in the universe, stars, planets, even people, came to have mass. This is something strange. So we're wondering what the heck is causing the universe to maybe phase shift here where things are going faster when they're not supposed to, according to common sense. But it may also be a collision of something, and this gets deep and we'll be quick. There's another discovery that was made totally separate from all the things about velocities and everything. It's called gravitational waves. And these two big black holes were found to have some sort of collision. And we here on the Earth identified these gravity waves. What are they? They're ripples in space-time. So they're literally warping space-time because what is the fourth dimension? It's time. So we're just unfolding all these things. And I hope what I just said in the last two minutes mm. is somewhat believable because, hey, I'm always honest with you in the audience. Nobody really understands any right. of this. Stuff. Right. 800-848-WABC. Janet is in Manhattan. Hello, Janet. Oh, hi. Thank you. I'm curious about something. In a way, it ties in with the question the woman asked before about yes. the rotational speed of the Earth. And I've been discovering there doesn't seem to be any way of predicting 
um, what what speed a planet will rotate at. It doesn't seem to correlate with anything. I mean, we know the revolution speed going around the sun correlates perfectly with how far away you are. The further yeah. away you are, the slower you go. The closer you are, the faster you go. True. And it's totally predictable. There's a ratio there, right? Kepler's mm-hmm. constant. You can predict yes. it. Absolutely. But um, from what I understand, Mars, for example, rotates 500 miles an hour on its axis, and Venus rotates at the ridiculously small, uh, slow rate of four miles an hour. It takes mo- uh, Venus longer to turn on its axis than mm-hmm. it takes to go around the sun over yes, 240 you- Earth days. Yes, Janet, what, and one, what, o- one other yeah. thing about Venus, let me interject, and thank you for these yeah. great questions. The problematic thing with Venus is, get a load of this, this is amazing. Venus rotates backwards. So something dynamically (laughs) happened on Venus. We have no Uh, idea. Maybe it was a collision. But your but your point is you're saying nobody understands is that what you're asking about how the well, Earth? Well, I don't really understand rotating? what mm-hmm. what determines how fast a planet rotates. Is it purely random? It pretty much is random, but it's also due. Let me say this: if you look at the objects that are in the solar system, because Mercury is closest to the sun, its rotational right. speed is like 57 days. Yes, it's all it's all due internally too to the planet itself. Some have a heavier core like we believe the Earth has a magma core and an inner core and probably a very molten core. So that's also determinant of how the Earth is going to turn and other planets like itself. But going back to Venus, you're so right. Its year is longer than, I mean, its day is longer than its year, and it rotates backwards. Something happened to these planets, but it's probably some sort of mass distribution inside these objects. It's like a dynamo. That's the best way I can explain it. You start, you start moving this liquid material like molten metal and you start turning it, obviously it forms into a rhythm, and we call it a circadian rhythm. It's a daily turning, as we know here on the Earth. Steve, uh, real quick, I, and I didn't give you a heads up that I was going to ask you that's about okay. this, so I'm, I hope I'm not uh, throwing you any, any something that's out of left field. No, um, there was a, a recent study led by a planetary scientist from the University of Central Florida by the name of Philip Metzger, who found that the reason Pluto lost its planetary status is not valid. I've always been a, always a little sore over the fact that they downgraded Pluto from planet to dwarf planetoid. Where do you stand on Pluto's planet status in general? And could there be any hope of getting Pluto restored in the eyes of astronomers wow, back to a, its prior status? Yeah, this is a great question. Re- really quick. You know, I'm a little agitated about this one because my mentor in college was Dr. Tombaugh, who discovered mm. it. What a great guy. But beside that, yes, Mike Brown of Caltech came up with the concept here that Pluto's a dwarf and should be removed because it's a what we call a Kuiper belt object. And the whole classification of objects beyond Pluto are in a different category, not deserving the name of planetary status. But the argument that you're raising here that the scientist is raising, not your argument, is that his argument is very valid. The discussion of what a planet is has a very serious mistake in how the whole, the whole, you know, the, the, the description, the, the derivation of this. So I think, very simply, not because I knew Dr. Tombaugh, but the reality is, if you look at this object, it moves around the sun once every 248 years. It does basically have a weird orbit. It goes 17 degrees to the plane of the solar system. But yes, like many other people, guess what? It has many moons too. So why shouldn't Pluto be restored? 
And I think they really need to go back and stop squabbling over what the definition of is is, as we would say, in the, in the political world. But in this case, yeah, Pluto, I think, should be remaining a planet. And it's crazy. The whole story gets deep about how they didn't have a quorum of people for the International Astronomical Union, and so many people didn't get to vote, and then they decided to change it. And it's a long story, but the truth is, why not make Pluto a planet? You know why, Frank? Kids like it because it's small like them. Right. <laughs> I think it should be a planet. Uh, amen. 800-848-WABC. Doug is in Montclair, New Jersey. Hello, Doug. Hey, thanks uh, for taking my call, Frank, and uh, hello, Dr. Sky. Good morning, sir. Um, okay, so here here we go. Uh, between 1991 and 1995, I lived in Yosemite National Park. Wow. And um, we used to drive over Tioga Pass to, to the east side, um, to Owens, Owens River Valley. Okay. Um, so, so between like Bridgeport and I would say like Mammoth Lakes, and and we used to uh, hang out in the hot tubs, right? Sounds so, like fun. <laughs> oh yeah, it was great, and it was so quiet you could hear a pin drop in the Owens River Valley, and um, we used to see those sizzling shooting stars all the time. Beautiful. I mean, you could hear them just sizzle out of the atmosphere. Wow. And so, I mean, I feel lucky for that. And um, I used to see a lot of shooting stars when I lived in Colorado, too. I'd, I'd stop at a reservoir, but I never heard them sizzle like I did um, at, you know, in the Owens River Valley. Well, it's a beautiful story, Doug, and it's kind of the envy of a lot of people who never get to go as often as your experiences. Yeah. But like I say, the simple oh, yeah. thing is... Let's try to find as dark a sky as we can. But on the other side of the coin, for everybody that still lives in the light, you know, the, the lights of big cities like New York City and others, there's still a lot of things you can see in the sky. But those experiences of sizzling, there's nothing like that of a sizzling steak and or, in this case, a sizzling meteor. You're very fortunate to have seen that, and it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah they had um, hot tubs. Um, like so, so what we used to do – is we'd take the rocks, there, there'd be rocks, and, and, and the hot tubs were right along the Owens River. Wow. And, and, and you'd, you'd, you'd um, regulate the heat in the hot tub, the natural hot tubs, with the rocks. And, and you'd place the rocks so that you were getting, you know, if, if it was too hot in the hot tub, you'd just... You just move the rocks around, and then you get more of the river water in. Sounds like a spiritual experience to me. I'd love to do it. <laughs> Thank you, Doug. Um, let me try and squeeze in one last call here before we uh, run out of time. Let me say hello to Harry, who's in Huntington. Hello, Harry. Hi, how you doing? Uh, as an aside, I saw that fireball in 66, and it was full of colors and smoke and sound. One wow. thing you didn't mention, though, it seemed to be going very slowly. I I yes. saw it on North Avenue in New Rochelle. In fact, I thought I could catch it with my 58 <laughs> Ford convertible, and I took off after it. Yes, It just seemed to be sputtering along there like an old Flash Gordon rocket ship. Harry is so but, right. Uh, anyway, what I want to ask you is what happened to the concept of Zeppelins on Mars? I was reading years ago that NASA 
wanted to do that uh, for exploration. And I know they got the helicopter, but that poor yes. little thing has to spin like crazy in that thin atmosphere oh, to get yeah. off the ground. It could never carry people. Are right. they, are they the... still going to try something like that? I think they will. The problematic thing there is its size. I mean, you have to get something like that, and obviously you can't drop it in because the spacecraft would have to, once it descends the descent module, you have to inflate it or do something like that because of a carbon dioxide-rich atmosphere. But it's interesting. We put all of our efforts into the ingenuity, which is great, like you're talking about, but it's the envy of any drone fan because imagine the velocity of those propellers like you're talking about, Harry. But hopefully in the future they'll be able to have that. There'll be a space probe onto Titan on Saturn's moon, the large big Titan moon, called Dragonfly, which will be like an advanced version of the helicopter, but not a, but not a Zeppelin. Steve, uh, on that note, we're going to have to end it there. It's always a real treat to talk with you. I'll look forward to doing this again soon. Thank you, Frank, and good morning to everybody. Thank you. Check out Steve Cates at KTAR.com. He's got a great blog on there. Denunciation straight ahead. Until next hour, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Without further ado, it is time for something you have been looking forward to all week, no doubt. It is time for me to call out those that need a little calling out. It is time for me to denounce those that are the recipient of this week's... The Other Side of Midnight presents Denunciations. I must begin with the President of the United States, Joe Biden. Uh, and I hate to do it. I'm not one of these guys that likes to just pick on Joe Biden uh, because Biden bashing is so fashionable on AM radio. But I have to tell you, he took his first trip to Asia as president. And last Friday... He began his trip by calling the South Korean president the wrong name. Now, that's a pretty big mistake. He called the South Korean president, Yoon Suk Yeol, by his predecessor's name, Moon Jae-in, whose five-year term ended earlier this month. Now, I am sure President Biden was prepped for this trip before his remarks. How do you call the current president of South Korea by his predecessor's name? I mean, that's like somebody, a world leader coming to this country and referring to President Biden as President Trump. That's such a difference. I mean, it's a pretty big mistake to make. When Joe Biden was a child, I know he's a proud Catholic, when he was a child performing in the Christmas pageant, all about baby Jesus and so forth. Was he talking about the miracle of uh, the Virgin Rita? I mean, I don't understand. How does that happen? And I'm not somebody that likes to pick on picayune errors, but it's a pretty big deal. You're going to go to Russia and call Putin Medvedev? I mean, what's going on? Uh, I must also denounce the person who threw an energy drink at Mayor Eric Adams, 
while he was standing outside of the city's public housing facilities in Williamsburg last Friday. Adams was speaking with reporters outside a NYCHA building when a blue nutriment can came whizzing out from the 21-story building, landing about 10 feet from the mayor, but it was clearly aimed at him. If you're going to throw an energy drink or any kind of drink at a public official, you are a total lowlife. Shame on you, and I do denounce you. I must also denounce the vandals who had the gumption to damage a memorial for the survivors of sexual violence in Minneapolis. So they have this memorial located at the south end of Boom Island Park in Minneapolis, inspired by the stories of women who survived sexual violence. And evidently, they were vandalized. Graffiti, scratching, uh, all sorts of damage to the granite panels. Now, first of all, in my view, you're completely horrible if you vandalize anything. To vandalize a memorial, you're doubly horrible. But to vandalize a memorial to victims of sexual violence, in my view... You're going straight to hell. I mean, who raised you? So if you're somebody that vandalized the uh, memorial to sexual violence victims, I do denounce you. I must also denounce the Southern Baptist Convention. This is the largest Protestant denomination in the United States. They have nearly 14 million Members, And they decided that the problem of sexual abuse within their ranks needed to be addressed. So following investigative reporting in the Houston Chronicle and the San Antonio Express News, which identified more than 700 victims during the past two decades. Again, I want to repeat that. 700 victims of sexual violence by these Southern Baptist preachers. The Southern Baptist Convention identified, they they contacted a third-party firm to investigate the misconduct. That's good. Now, the final report was released, and they found widespread sexual abuse across the Southern Baptist Convention, including an internal list of 703 perpetrators, and a leadership that was more interested in shaming the survivors and preventing legal liability than stopping the abuse. As one high-ranking Southern Baptist Convention official said, the whole thing should be seen for what it is. It's a satanic scheme to completely distract us from evangelism. No. No, it wasn't. You had officials within the Southern Baptist Church that were acting as sexual predators. And when the Southern Baptist Convention had an opportunity to do something about it, they chose not to. They chose to shield these people and shame the victims. Well, shame on you.
Southern Baptist Convention. Now, since these articles have come out over the last week, they've started to change their tune a little bit and say, all right, well, this we're going to do this and we're going to do that. Now, that's good. That's why sunshine is the best disinfectant. But in my view, this does nothing to give them a reprieve for the denunciation that they so richly deserve on this one. So to all the leadership of the Southern Baptist Convention that shielded these sexual predators, I do denounce you. I must also denounce television. I hate to do it because I've said repeatedly that if I'm ever independently wealthy or unemployed, I'm going to do a whole lot of television watching. Love television, and uh, there's a lot of great shows on it, and uh, I'd love to uh, love to watch it. But evidently, a new study finds that if we could limit our daily television viewing, we could reduce our risk of heart disease. Oh, yeah. So apparently, uh, being sedentary and spending long periods of time sitting rather than moving around can increase our risk of heart disease. So researchers at the University of Cambridge examined data on half a million people in the United Kingdom looking at their sedentary screen use, their DNA, and their risk of coronary disease. Here's what the study found. They found that people who watched more than four hours of television a day were at the greatest risk of developing heart disease while those who watched less than an hour of television a day had a 16% lower rate. Interestingly, time spent using a computer did not appear to influence heart disease risk. So the lesson is there clearly. Turn off your television and turn up your radio. Right? Uh, So television, I do denounce you. I have to also denounce, and I know I, I said I wasn't going to discuss any of these mass shootings, but I read an article about the father of this Texas shooter who talks about how uh, he hasn't spent much time with his son lately because of COVID and because of his job. You know, I, I asked the same question about this Dallas shooter, uh, excuse me, the Texas shooter, that I, I that my wife did about the shooter in Buffalo. At 18 years old, where are the parents? Where are the parents? If you end up... Now, again, not everything an 18-year-old does is the fault of the parents. But honestly, I do have to reproach the parents of these young men that put them in a, in a position when they're clearly troubled clearly mad at the world to get weapons where are the parents i can tell you i I don't know what kind of father i'm gonna be i don't know what kind of person my son is going to be here's what i can guarantee you if my son is exhibiting any sign of mental illness when he's uh, uh, in my care or when he's under the age of 21 He will not have a semi-automatic weapon, period. Where are the parents of these shooters? So, uh, look, I realize this is a a difficult thing to do, and I know it's a complex issue, and there are mental health implications, there are public safety implications, and I'm not trying to oversimplify a complicated issue. But I have to tell you, 
if your child at 18 years old becomes a mass shooter, I do denounce you. I must also denounce the state of Mississippi, M-I-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. This apparently, according to WalletHub, is the worst state in the entire country for millennials, or as I like to call them, the millenniums. So if you're a mid-20 to early 40-something-year-old living in America, they did a report, WalletHub did, breaking down where your wallet will go the furthest in 2022. And they found out that if you're a millennium, the place where your money will work the least for you is Mississippi. So if you're a millennium, stay out of Mississippi. I must also denounce Walmart. I, I, you know, I'm not fond of Walmart as a company for a whole host of reasons. But uh, now we see what they're doing in Tucson. Imagine this. Imagine checking out at a store only to discover you accidentally missed an item in the self-checkout. It's an easy mistake to make, but for several people that KGUN9 in Arizona spoke with, the mistake cost them a ticket and a hit on their record. One woman, who didn't want to be identified, says she was given a petty theft citation at the Walmart in Tucson. She says she accidentally forgot to scan a few items during checkout. They proceeded to hold me there for about an hour and a half. They called the sheriff. They said because it was over $30, they would have to arrest me. I've never been arrested in my life. I'm in my 60s. And they were just very rude and inconsiderate. And I kept asking them to explain things because I didn't understand what was going on. The sheriff came. He read my rights. I had to sign some things. Then he offered to stay and chat with me afterwards because he could tell I was upset. Now, Walmart, first of all, this is what I'm always worried about with these self-checkouts. I don't go to these self-checkouts because I'm always afraid that I'm going to make a mistake and, and walk out by accident. But it's very easy to make a mistake. And what they're doing in at Walmart in Arizona is they're charging these people and having them arrested when clearly, in this case, this woman in her 60s, she made an honest mistake. I mean, come on, Walmart. Get a clue. Cut people some slack. You know if someone is trying to shoplift. You do. If they're sneaking items into their coat pocket when no one can see them and trying to sneak out of the store, they're shoplifting. If they pay for a bunch of items and inadvertently put some other items in their cart that they forget to pay for or make a mistake in paying for, they're not trying to shoplift. Why Why embarrass them and waste their time and put a hit on their record by having them arrested? It's just, in my view, this is one more reason not to like Walmart. Walmart, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Amador Rodriguez. A man, Mr. Rodriguez, who reported his car stolen on Saturday, wound up being arrested twice for a hit-and-run crash that badly damaged a home in Deltona, Florida. So he was arrested Sunday afternoon, and again later that evening ultimately bonding out of jail for the second time early Monday morning. So he 
contacted police to say that his blue Honda Civic had been stolen. He claimed that he left his car unlocked in his driveway around 9 p.m. Saturday night. Investigators said they checked to see whether any tag readers had picked up the car, finding that it had traveled to Seminole County and back to Volusia County on Saturday night into Sunday morning. Later, Sunday morning, deputies said they found the car a few blocks away from the Rodriguez home at the scene of a hit-and-run wreck in which the car had slammed in to the back of the home. Deputies say they questioned Rodriguez further, and he admitted to making up the story of his car being stolen, saying that he had crashed the car himself and walked away without checking to see whether anyone had been hurt. This person is a total degenerate. One, if you get into a car crash, you stay and make sure nobody is hurt. Two, if you're involved in a car crash, and you hit and run. You just should not, under any circumstance, compound that culpability by lying about making up your car being stolen. To me, this is just reprehensible. Absolutely reprehensible. And finally, I want to denounce ultra-processed foods. Um, New data coming out showing that ultra-processed food is, in a word, ultra-deadly. Conducted by Loma Linda University, this massive research project, which included over 75,000 participants, demonstrated that eating a lot of ultra-processed foods is associated with increased mortality risk. So that means, uh, by the way, the study's authors say the consumption of these ultra-processed foods is not only associated with greater mortality, it's associated with greater mortality related to respiratory illness, neurological issues like dementia and Parkinson's disease. Uh, So stay away from the corn chips, stay away from the apple pie, and stay away from pretty much anything you see in the candy aisle along with packaged breads and buns. Those are ultra-processed foods, and they are not good for you. Uh, If you want to comment on anyone or anybody or anything that I have denounced, give me a call. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. We have three open lines. I'd love to hear from you. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. I didn't plan to fall in love with you. It just happened that way. And all the time inside my heart, I knew that I'd regret it someday. Now I can't stand to be away from you, but I'm alone every day. I didn't plan. 
in love with you You just happened that way The great Dean Martin here on 77 WABC. You can hear his daughter, Dina Martin, every Sunday night here on WABC, right before Curtis Lee, right after my friend Joe Piscopo. I was with Joe last night. Got to hear him. uh, I think I heard him sing, uh, but I certainly got to see Joe. He's doing great. And um, he does a great job with the Sinatra show, Sunday night. Here's a question for you. you. Do you live in New York City? Are you hard up for money? Could you use a couple of extra bucks? If the answer to all three of those questions, did I ask three or four? Well, I'm not sure if I asked three questions just now or four. But if the answer to any of those questions is yes, I've got a solution for you. How can you make a couple of bucks quickly? Not a lot of money, but a decent amount of money. Quickly. Run for office in New York City. I have talked for years, literally, for the the whole time that I've been on this show, plus when I was on another radio station. I have talked for years about how absurd New York City's campaign finance structure is. And look, and I am somebody that supports public financing. Not the way we do it in New York City. The way we do it in New York City is a magnet for con artists and crooks. It is basically a welfare program for political consultants, attorneys, accountants, and politics, Inc. But here's something we haven't covered. How to enrich yourself if if you're running for office. Let me tell you something that happened last year. There was a fella, let's call him Anthony, because that's actually his name. Anthony was running for in a crowded race for New York City Council last year. And with primary day fast approaching, he needed some money. So what did he do? He dug into his own pocket and lent his campaign $11,000. Understand what I'm saying? A fellow running for office reached into his own pocket and lent his campaign $11,000. And if the payout put any financial strain on the candidate, it quickly subsided as loss turned into profit. Because remember, New York City has an 8-to-1 matching fund system, meaning if I'm running for, if I'm running for office in New York City and you're a New York City resident, you give me $100, that contribution is matched with $800 from the city taxpayers. So your $100 contribution to me becomes $900. So this guy lends his own campaign $11,000, $11,000, and then this fellow gets his matching funds. So after this late-breaking infusion of public matching funds, the campaign paid back the candidate $11,000 a day before the primary, before we knew if he was going to win or lose. Now, you might say, okay, he lent his campaign $11,000. What's the matter with, once you get the matching funds, paying yourself back? Okay. (laughs) 
But they didn't just the campaign didn't just pay Anthony back eleven thousand dollars. They paid him back eleven thousand dollars along with one thousand three hundred and twenty dollars in interest. Understand that. How's I mean, you you want to see if you can get that kind of interest in a uh, savings account or a money market account or a CD or just about anywhere? Eleven thousand um, dollars in a couple of weeks generates a return of one thousand one hundred and one thousand um, and uh, three hundred and twenty dollars. Now, that's some interest rate. Honestly, I read that and read that this guy wasn't prosecuted. And I said, oh, my goodness. You know, there are days when I could use another $1,300. I'm betting I can raise enough to qualify for matching funds. So it's not illegal, I guess, what the guy did. Is it unethical? Yes. Is it inappropriate? Absolutely. Is it a complete perversion of the New York City campaign finance matching fund system? You bet your bottom dollar it is. In fact, you bet $11,000 of your taxpayer dollars it is. Now, the fellow lost, shockingly, a guy that decides the best use of his campaign money is to not only pay himself back, but to give himself $1,300 of interest. The voters in his district didn't think he was the best candidate. But what became of this candidate that lost last June? What became of Mr. Anthony Miranda? Any guesses? Anyone? Anyone? (laughs) You almost can't make this stuff up. But as Cindy Adams likes to say, only in New York, kids. Only in New York. Well, this candidate that chose to lend his campaign $11,000 and then have his campaign not only pay himself back in full, but throw in $1,300 of interest on top of that, Mayor Eric Adams has now decided to appoint Anthony Miranda as the new New York City Sheriff. That's right. The new New York City (laughs) Sheriff one of the lesser-known law enforcement posts that comes with um, different responsibilities than what most sheriffs do elsewhere in the state is a guy that ran for office last year, lent himself $11,000, and the day before the election, the day before the primary, paid himself back that $11,000 in full along with $1,300 in interest. Now, that repayment far exceeds interest rates that are laid out in usury laws. If this guy were a a gangster, this would be loan sharking. Um, It also appears to have violated election statutes that prohibit candidates from personally profiting from their campaigns. This guy did profit from running for office. He absolutely did. And yet, nothing's happening to him. He's now going to be the New York City Sheriff. Why? Because he's an old cop buddy and an old crony of Eric Adams. He was an NYPD sergeant. 
he was on the force the same time Eric Adams was. They were pals back then. And I remember, you know, when I was involved with the Independence Party, Lenora Falani used to love to honor these guys, along with um, 1,000 blacks in, in law enforcement. And um, Anthony Miranda and Eric Adams were thick as thieves. And I guess we know why they use the term thieves to apply to people like Anthony Miranda. The details of this loan payoff, which have been obtained by Politico through a public records request, um, this is crazy. They indicate a very poor grasp of state statutes for someone that not only was a cop, but is now charged with ensuring that others comply with the election law. Now, he was asked about this and said through a spokesperson, throughout my career in law enforcement and public service, I have always conducted myself with the utmost integrity and held myself to the highest ethical standards. You want to bet? You want to make a $1,300 bet on that one? I'm consulting with an election law expert to ensure full compliance with the campaign finance law. My campaign continues to work with the campaign finance board to respond to any questions it may have during its standard review process. Now, maybe he'll pay this money back. But do you think that he would ever have paid this money back unless there was this scrutiny from Politico because of his appointment to be sheriff? Of course not. Of course not. And I think it says a lot about Mayor Eric Adams that of all the distinguished law enforcement people in this city, that this is the guy that Mayor Adams would choose to be the New York City Sheriff. It's my two cents. What say you? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Joe is in Ron Konkama. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. Again, an awesome show. Before Thank I you. get into it, I want to wish you, your wife, and all the ABC listeners out there a very happy Memorial Day weekend. And do like Frank from Glendale always says, put an American flag in front of your house and show you support. I was listening to you during denunciation, um, and I agreed with you on this one thing about these um, armed guards and um, – our school district, and you know I was pushing this uh, woman that was running for the school board, um, Jackie Ferno, and she was the one that got implemented in our school district that most of our security guards are ex-cops. So when they would have to come in before, they would have to lock their service revolvers up in a safe before uh, starting their shift. Well, we have now armed guards in our school. We have um, boots. When you walk in, all the kids get uh, basically go walk through with like an X-ray. It's not actually X-ray, but it's to see if they have any metal metal detector. There you go. Um, every one of our schools, you can't access our school because all the doors lock immediately uh, be, before you get in there and after you get in there. We have armed security, Frank. As soon as you pull in the parking lot of every one of the schools, they have a guy walking the premises of the school. You can't even leave the classroom. Students have to have, be they, – they have people monitoring the uh, hallways at our schools. It is so well protected, and I was so for this. And we had a lot of parents that were against it. And the way we felt, if you have a police officer that's a security guard in our schools that is trained how to use the weapon, 
wouldn't you rather them protect us from the inside versus what happened in Texas? And uh, you had to see the outpour of people that were so against having armed guards, and I still don't understand why. Yeah, I, I don't get that one either. I mean, I, I think as long as, um, you know, especially here in New York, where the school safety officers are part of the NYPD, especially if they're adequately trained, I don't see what the harm would be in having guards be armed. I mean, uh, they I could see them being a disincentive from something like this from happening. You want to have an argument about a discussion about teachers being armed? That's another question as far as I'm concerned. But I, I mean... Uh, here in New York, the school safety agents are part of the NYPD in spite of the efforts of some. And uh, I wouldn't have an issue with them being armed. And uh, But, you know, well, look, I, I guess reasonable people can disagree. 800-848-WABC. JJ is in Fairfield, Connecticut. Hello, JJ. How you doing? Um, I just want to talk about the old lady at the Walmart. That's one of the biggest scams there is, buying an item and scanning one and then not scanning. But the old lady, I would say she's at least not selling it for drugs. Most people go in there and do that kind of scam to you know, sell it for drugs. So I don't have a problem with her kind of doing it. But that's a big scam. It's been for years that people do that. So you, do, you, do you not buy that this was an honest mistake in her case then? Not when you said several. She said she missed several items. If she had missed one... I could say honest mistake, but she, to miss several, because the machine beeps at you to let you know. Most of them even have a scale that won't let you go any further. Yeah. So I would say that more that she, like, had one item on top of the other and would scan them both at the same time, things like that. I well, think, honestly, I do. Maybe you're right, JJ. Maybe you're right. Look, uh, I guess we only know what's before us. Uh, again, I, I think Walmart way overreacted. Original Rick is in the Garden State. Hello, Original Rick. Yes, good morning, Frank. Morning. Yeah, just a quick thing about the uh, the shoplifting. My mother, once she was alive, uh, was shopping in, a, I think it was Acme, and she had her pocketbook open in in the cart as she was going around because she was looking at her list, you know, and then putting it back in the in the pocketbook. One item tumbled into the pocketbook. When she hadn't even gone to the um. The checkout. She was still walking around the store. So when she got to the checkout, she would have seen it when she got her her, her wallet. As she's walking around the store, a, a security guy comes and brings her in the back, saying, "You're you're stealing this." They arrested her. Oh, I had to go, I had to go down and bail out my mother. You're kidding me. No. What, what store was that? Court. What store was that? I think it, I, I don't want to say it was Acme because it may not have been. Uh-huh. But okay, but. It was either Acme or ShopRite or one of those big, you know. Unbelievable. Heads. That drives they're, they're me crazy. They're known for this, Frank. They're known for this. And I couldn't believe I had to bail out my elderly mother, and she would never have stolen. Of course that. not. Yeah. Of course not. And she hadn't gone to the checkout. That's what's it. How can you charge someone with stealing something when you haven't gone to the checkout? You might be put it back on the on the shelf before you go. You don't. They don't know that. How you know, was I, how was her case adjudicated? Uh. She had to pay a fine. Unbelievable. Rick, no, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you bet. I hate, I hate to hear that. 800-848-WABC. Two open lines if you want to jump on board. That's 800-848-9222. Larry is in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. Yeah, the last case doesn't make legal sense. Uh, uh, that That's not a theft if you, don't, if you don't attempt to leave. But anyway, leave that as it may. Um, I, I want to contend with you on one of your denunciations um, about so the guy that threw the can of energy drink at Eric Adams, 
when I heard that, I I had my my soul like leap for joy when I heard that because the 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 sort of the divine providence involved in it was awesome. The the, the can stopped ten feet in front of him. It was it was the like penultimate warning to him. And this guy needed a comeuppance for a long time. He needed some kind of humiliation because he was shooting his mouth off. This guy's full of fancy talk and speech with no action. So how 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 much more fitting could it be to throw an energy drink at him, symbolizing his indolence? Larry, his, his, uh, Larry, what do you think the word penultimate means? I probably misused it. Right. So <laughs> the the word uh, penultimate means. Next to last. So, how does that make any sense based on what you just said? All right, I, you, I, you will excuse me, Frank. Absolutely. I, I, mean, I don't have your vocabulary. Um, I, okay, I bet. No, no, I, and, and I get it. Look, and different people have different levels of vocabulary, myself included. But why would you try to throw in a word that you clearly don't know what it means? I took a chance. Don't, don't you take chances? Like the guy that threw the energy drink. Clearly took a chance. You see, that's why I identify with him because after <laughs> it was done, they could not—he could not be caught because, as much as an entourage as Eric Adams had, not entourage. I use that right, right? Okay. So as much of, of an entourage he had, he could not see the guy from within the building. And once it was thrown, it was left up to you know divine providence to land where it did, and where it landed was so. Was such a telling point. So I don't understand why you condemned it. I thought it was. I, I think it's completely inappropriate, Larry. Honestly, and I didn't vote for Mayor Adams, and uh, I, I think his record thus far as mayor leaves a great deal to be desired, to say the least. But I, I don't think throwing things and maybe hurting someone—I mean, in this case, it didn't—but it very easily could have. I don't think throwing things at public officials is the best way. To voice discontent. I think if you don't like the job Eric Adams is doing, run against him. Vote against him. Make a contribution to someone that's running against him. Run for another office and then be a counterweight to his agenda. But I I find this, and again, this applies to folks that I like as much as folks that I didn't like. I I find this, this notion of throwing things at people you disagree with Really reprehensible. And and the kind of thing that you'd see in the Middle East, where they love to throw shoes at people. And it's not what the country's about. I, I find it reprehensible, honestly. And I wish everybody, everybody would. 800-848-WABC. Let's say hello to... But if you do not let us have this table, I am going in and tell my friend Harvey. Harvey? Oh, Harvey! You're going to tell your friend Harvey... Harvey! He's going to tell Harvey. That's a nice name. I like that. That's a nice name, That's Harvey. a nice name, Harvey. I don't care if you tell Harvey. Go ahead and tell him. He's got me mighty scared. I'm shaking to death. Let us say hello to Harvey in upstate New York. Hello, Harvey. Yeah, hi. Uh, Frank. Um, Frank. Yeah, I, I love that uh, Jackie Gleason bit uh, anyway. But, yeah, um, I remember you called Curtis one time and thought it was him that played it for you, but that's fine. Yeah, a while ago, I bought a um, a bed for my dog, um, Urkel. His name is Urkel. <clears throat> and uh, uh, when I went to wash it, I wanted to take the cover off, but I found it didn't have any zipper or couldn't take the contents out to wash the cover. So I called up. I wanted to return it. 
because on the back, there's a tag that I took off and saved. It says, affordable quality for all animals. If for any reason you or your pet don't love this product, we'll replace it or give you your money back. The questions call visit walmart.com. And I did that, and they refused to take it back. Well, and, um, yeah, I, I'm sorry about that, Harvey. I mean, in my view, that's uh, exhibit triple Z as to why I don't shop at Walmart. Right, right, exactly. But they had the prices, um, you know, and where I live right now, uh, it's to walk away from me. And uh, also, I, I, I posted this same thing on Facebook. And they took it down because they said it's it's, not, it's derogatory. Oh, really? I don't like that. Yeah. The the with the yeah. Facebook people wouldn't let you post that. Well, that's wild. Wow. I mean, what happened? I mean, yeah. it's just another example of free speech being suppressed, as far as I'm concerned, Harvey. Harvey, make sure you join the yeah. Facebook group. Go to Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M O R A N O Radio. Fans and haters, uh, let me say hello. We have one, two, three, four open lines, 800-848-9222. That's also 1-800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to Shari in Centerport, New York. Hello, Shari. Good morning, Frank. Hi. You made my night last night oh. when you brought in Mr. Dabalina, Mr. Bob Dabalina, and it's stuck in your head. I jumped out of bed. I hadn't heard that in 50 years. It was a constant chant at fraternity parties at Ball State University. A Mr. Bob Bird, every night at the party, would come in singing that, get the whole room of young people singing it. And then he would do the Peter Townsend version from 1967, The Monkees, on their album called... Um, the Monkeys song is called album. Zilch, right. Zilch, exactly. And I haven't heard that song in 50 years, and I want to thank you. It's stuck in my head well, uh, all uh, day today. Uh, Sherry, well, you're, you're welcome, but uh, no thanks necessary to me. Uh, the person that you can thank and that I can blame because it has been stuck in my head for two days. And I was walking around the house today. Like a me- oh, yesterday, technically, like a mental patient. Every room I'd go into, I'd go and change my son, and I'd be saying, Mr. Dabalina, Mr. Bob Dabalina, Mr. Dabalina, Mr. Bob Dabalina. And then I'd go into another room, and I would say, Alexa, play Mr. Dabalina. And then I'd go into another room, and I, I would s- set the smart speaker to play Mr. Dabalina so that when my wife, not being in the room, when she'd say, Alexa, continue – so that it would continue whatever she thought that it would continue whatever playlist it she had would been playing previously. Instead, you'd hear Mr. Dabalina, Mr. Bob Dabalina. Um, she said, why are you having this song play in every room in the house and singing it to every person you encounter? Because it, I am obsessed with this song. And the person I have to blame for that is Matt Blaze. I got to tell you, I had not heard this song. I had heard the Monkees version, Zilch, many years ago. I don't remember hearing the 1990 version that Matt Blaze brought to our attention. It was an unauthorized pick of uh, Bumper Music. And ever since Matt Blaze told me about that uh, Craig Carton adaptation of that song, especially on a day where uh, Craig Carton was on the air, 
where he, according to Matt Blaze, they would do Mr. Tacopina, Mr. Joe Tacopina. I am, I can't stop, I can't stop thinking about it. I almost am finding it distracting right now trying to speak and do a radio show while this song is playing in my head. I mean, you ever try to read while music is playing? And there are lyrics to the music, and you can't read because the lyrics of the music are distracting you from the words you're reading. That's what it's like for me. I mean, look, let's face it. I've, I've always been kind of a stone's throw away from being in need of being institutionalized, if we're being honest, right? This song may push me over the edge. This might be it for me. And that might be all part of um, what Matt Blaze has planned. We all know of his uh, long-term association with people like Frankie Russo. We know that he works with Curtis on Sunday evenings. We know that he has had um, a radio broadcasting career in his own right. Maybe this is all part of his attempt to hasten my descent into insanity. And look, it's very clever It's that the, if that's the case. But while you can thank Matt Blaze, in my view, my view, he only gets blame straight ahead. WABC. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano, seventy-seven WABC. This speech is my recital. I think it's very vital to rock around. That's right. On top. Here we go. It's tricky to rock around, to rock around. That's right. On time It's tricky. It's tricky. 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 It's tricky to rock around, to rock around. That's right. On time It's tricky. 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 I met this little girly. Her hair was kind of curly. Went to her house and bust her out. I had to leave real early. All they just say is please me Or spend some time and rock a rhyme I said it's not that easy It's tricky to rock around, to rock around That's right, on time is tricky How is it, It's tricky, tricky, tricky This is The Other Side of Midnight I'm Frank Moreno If you would like to be heard Now's your opportunity to do so 800-848-9222 That's 1-800-848-WABC um, some sad news for uh, people that work on this floor. I have finished what was left of uh, my Aunt Camille's egg salad. It is pizza day here on um, the other side of midnight. I did buy uh, several pizza pies for our staff here. And uh, the pizza was okay. It was, it was from a, a joint that we hadn't tried before. And I did um, the method that I described previously. After eating the pizza pie itself, I used the crust that was remaining from the pizza pie to make a little mini egg salad sandwich, sort of dip the crust after the pizza was consumed in the egg salad itself. And um, I got to tell you, that might be the best decision I've ever made in my entire life. It was phenomenal. Phenomenal. Now, uh, I want to thank Christopher Gambino, one of our great listeners. He emailed me yesterday, and he said, uh, hey, you know, that that video of your Aunt Camille making the egg salad, it's not there. It's down. I said, what are you talking about, Christopher Gambino? No wonder your crime family is always under DOJ scrutiny. 
So I, I said, oh, let me look at this. And sure enough, the video was not working. This is unbelievable. I said, oh, my. Oh, I'm an idiot. So uh, I have reached out to the powers that be. And uh, over the course of the last 24 hours, there was a lengthy negotiation process between uh, Eric in the video department, Dan, who's in the video department, and Renault, who is one of those guys who's worked here for a while, but whose name I only learned like two days ago. So whenever I would interact with him, because he's such a nice guy, he's always got a smile for everybody, I would always have to kind of pretend like I knew his name without actually saying his name. But I was able to, behind the scenes, find out what his name was. But once I found out what this fellow's name was, we were able to begin negotiations in earnest, and I was able to get the rights to this egg salad video. Now, you might say, well, Frank, you're in the video. It's your Aunt Camille. It was your idea. Why would there be any dispute over the intellectual property? Well, it was edited using WABC staff. So they uploaded the video, and they put it up there on a channel that they created, but apparently it was only a temporary channel. And they were able to give me limited use of the rights to use this video. So I have the rights to this video for 90 days, and I have uploaded it to my YouTube channel, and I have posted it on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash Fan. Now, while the egg salad has been here for the last three, four days, a whole, um, you know, a whole mythology has developed around the egg salad on the floor here. So a lot of people, Luke Legrano, that was his last wish. He's, he's, I think, resigning or retiring today. He's moving on to greener pastures or a second career or just living off his pension, whatever the case. Luke, maybe he lives, he works on the uh, Bernie and Sid show. He's done very well on that show for the last few years, and now he's ready to hang him up. And um, he... He is a big fan of this egg salad. And he said to this other woman that works here, Rachel, in the engineering department, who seems like a very nice lady, and she was part of the engineering team that got our phones working again, so she seems very competent as well. And she runs around with a Back to the Future t-shirt, which I like. So Luke said to this woman, Rachel, it's my final wish as a WABC employee for you to try Aunt Camille's egg salad. And Rachel said, I don't want to try it. I've never had egg salad. I don't know what to expect. It's not my thing. Luke said, please, this is the only thing I want. I don't want a gold watch. I'm forfeiting the rights to my, um, you know, to my retirement package. I don't want any sort of golden parachute. All I want to do is see you enjoy this egg salad. So. Luke Grano and the rest of the staff here celebrating Luke Grano's retirement. They took a video of this woman, Rachel, who, by the way, is the same person who I welcomed when she started here and did not respond to my welcome to the radio station email until, you know, I publicly discussed that on the radio. And then after I discussed it, of course, I got a very nice response back, but goes to show you what we're dealing with here. She tried this egg salad for the first time. And Luke Legrano did a video for Snapchat. Now, I'm not on Snapchat, but Luke Legrano has given me limited authorization to share that video, not widely, but only in our Facebook group. I have posted that video 
of Rachel, not my wife, but the engineer, trying Aunt Camille's egg salad. And you can see in the Facebook group her trying it and her reaction. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You got to go to the Facebook group and watch it. This is what uh, our our president, Chad Lopez, Chalo, calls drop and leave, right? We, we, we tease you, and then you got to go see it. So if you want to know whether she liked it or not, you've got to go on Facebook and join the group Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. Speaking of the uh, Morano Radio Fans and Haters group, I uh, mentioned yesterday uh, to um, Philippe, because uh, Philippe seems moderately uh, competent. He, he, no, honestly, he is very good, I must say. Most of the time. Uh, except when he's p- assigning people that live in Bayonne to Freehold, when he's accusing people that live in Regal Park of living in Regal Park, and uh, f- omitting Sean Seipler's name from the podcast description and things of that nature. But, um, but he, he's got a decent head on his shoulders, and he's got a good sense of humor, which is important. So I said to him, why don't we make you an administrator of the Facebook group? And then you can... Now, meanwhile, I'm thinking somebody else to take the blame for when people don't like what's approved and not approved. But, you know, you know, somebody to share the burden, right? And so, as I mentioned this, immediately, out of earshot of Philippe, Alex Barnard says to me, How come I can't be an administrator of the Facebook group? Now, of course, Matt Blaze didn't care about this, because why would you? This is is something that only 2,800 people in the world care about. But boy, do those 2,800 people care about it. So uh, I said, all right, Alex, you, you, I guess, could be an administrator, too. So I said, Philippe, we're going to make you an administrator. And he said to me, well, do you really think I'm ready for that? And then as soon as he said that, I realized if he has to ask, he's probably not ready. He's probably not ready. So I thought to myself, we're going to start him as an administrator. Excuse me, not an administrator, a moderator. And if he proves his mettle as a moderator, then we can bump him up to administrator if things go well with his moderation. And now, obviously, I can't make, I can't allow Alex Barnard to skip ahead of Philippe in the pecking order. Because I guess in the hierarchy of our show, I guess Philippe is closer to the fire than Alex Barnard because, you know, he's dealing with, um, you know, all these Dominic Carter and and, uh, Rita Cosby clips. So we also made Alex Barnard a moderator. So if you join the Facebook group now and you try and post something, this will be the first time that you can see the moderation effect of both Alex uh, Barnard and... Philippe. So we'll see how it goes, uh, but uh, the keys to the kingdom are in their hands. And if it goes well for them, who knows? Maybe they'll be bumped up to administrator. (laughs) (laughs) It's just funny. I could only be so lucky. Why would these two want that responsibility? And and how he talked himself out of it. You were starting him off as like the CFO, and he talked himself out of it. I will go mad with power. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next hour, your influence counts. Use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
Memorial Day weekend. It is um, a holiday weekend. It is a solemn holiday, but a holiday nonetheless. I am uh, hope uh, we are not going to be here on Monday. I am told that um, Curtis Lewa is going to be filling in Monday morning. In addition to his role on uh, t- tomorrow and Sunday morning, he's going to be filling in Monday morning as well. I think I'm going to be seeing uh, Curtis at the Memorial Day Parade on Staten Island and uh, on, on Monday as well. And hopefully I'll see a lot of you there as well. But they say we may get some rain this weekend. Now, I'm going to be at the Joe Nolan event today. Um, I'm going to get there probably around 2 p.m. or so. And then um, hopefully I'll see you, and it'll be fun. It's going to be at the Crab's Claw in um, in Lavalette, New Jersey. If you can't make it, I do hope you'll make a, a contribution to the Maureen Nolan Foundation anyway. The website is mnolanfoundation.org. Last year, when I was still on the 5 o'clock hour, a lot of folks made contributions because they heard us talking about it on the 5 o'clock hour. This year, I haven't yet heard that the overnight audience has stepped up in that same way. I hope you do, uh, just for bragging rights, really. So uh, go if you can't make it today, go to mnolanfoundation.org. But there is talk of rain this weekend. And a lot of folks may want to stay in this weekend and watch some movies. Now, Now, when you watch a movie, I am somebody that enjoys watching films at home, right? I do. I do like it. I like going to the movies, too. Um, But, you know, I enjoy the whole cinematic experience at home. And I try to create as close to a cinematic experience as, as can be. You lower the lights. However many people are there, whether it's just you and a loved one or if it's five, six, seven people... I don't mind. Here's what I can't deal with. People talking during the film. I cannot handle people talking. I make sure, if it's at my house, that I am the one with the remote control. And if anyone attempts to have a conversation during this film, I will immediately pause the film until whatever comment has passed. And then we address the comment and continue. I drive people crazy with this, but I'm serious about this stuff. I, I want to hear what the what the characters in the film are saying, and I want to pay attention to the motion picture, not listen to you go on and on nattering about your day or something during the film. Otherwise, let's not watch a film. Let's go have a cup of coffee or something or a beer, whatever. And it's very interesting. I listen to a few podcasts. I, most of what I listen to is this station. 
But occasionally uh, there are a couple of podcasts that I listen to that are not on this station. Um, And one day maybe I'll list them, but I'm not going to do that today. But one of them is the Talking Sopranos podcast. I'm a big fan of the Sopranos, and it's a great series. And I recently rewatched it with my wife. And the the series, the podcast Talking Sopranos is really interesting. It's Steve Sharippa, who played Bacala on The Sopranos, and Michael Imporioli, who played uh, Christopher on the, on the Sopranos. And the two of them watch, they interview guests and give their own commentary, but they, and they give the behind the scenes of what happened in every episode, but they watch every episode, every episode, and they analyze what happens in every scene. It's really neat if you're a Sopranos fan. I recommend it. And so... I think because I recently rewatched the series with my wife, I have a whole new appreciation for it because I started listening to it about three years ago, maybe two years ago, when they first started it. And I interviewed Michael Imperioli about it, and I started listening to the podcast. I figured, I like The Sopranos, I'll listen to the podcast. But then I said, well, wait a minute, they're getting pretty in-depth on each of these individual episodes. Maybe I should watch them again. And it turns out my wife had never seen the show, so I watched the whole series with her. And um, it's making the podcast much more enjoyable now that I'm listening to the podcast now. So they're reviewing episode number 55, which is from season five of The Sopranos. It's called The Rat Pack. And it has to do, um, it's it's an interesting episode, but there's one scene where there's a film. uh, There's like a film club. And you know how some women or some people have a book club? Well, they have a film club. And... We see the characters watch the film and then discuss the film. Well, Michael Imperioli and Steve Sharippa commented on this aspect of the cinematic experience. You know, and I got to tell you, movie night, six, seven people watching a movie for two hours in the dark. You want to, you know, you can't talk. Not that fun, no. Tough. I don't think so. I like watching movies alone or with one person. Yeah, I agree. Am I right? Yeah. That's not for me. You know, I I, I don't do that. Now, I got to tell you, I have a lot of respect for both of those guys, and both of them say things that I enjoy. But I completely disagree with their take on this. I enjoy watching a motion picture with five or six people. And I used to do that even when I was a kid. My mother will tell you, I would have these sleepovers almost every weekend, either Friday or Saturday, and I would have uh, five or six friends over, and we would watch, we would do what, a movie marathon, and we would, we, everybody would get to vote on which motion pictures that we wanted to watch, and we'd select four motion pictures through ranked choice voting. It was always through ranked choice voting even as a young person. And we would we, usually we would never make all four, but we'd do two or three and usually fall asleep on the third. And I would, I really enjoyed the cinematic experience of watching a film with two, three, four, five, six, six people. And I disagree with these guys who say they like watching a film by themselves or with only one person. Now, where do you stand on this? Do you agree with me that you enjoy watching a film at home with a whole bunch of people? Or, and you, because then you could discuss it with everybody afterwards, 
Or do you agree with Steve Sharippa and Michael Imperioli that a motion picture viewed at home is best viewed by yourself or with one other person? Where do you come down on that? A question. Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. 800-848-WABC. If you're going to watch a film, do you do it by yourself or do you do it with or do you enjoy doing it with a whole bunch of people? What do you think? Now, um, if you're thinking about a theme for a movie marathon this weekend, may I humbly suggest that you view the films of Ray Liotta. Uh, I'm sure by now you've heard the news that actor Ray Liotta has passed away at the age of 67. First of all, it's so, I mean, Ray Liotta, I just saw him in the Sopranos prequel, The Many Saints of Newark. He's great in that, by the way. For whatever failings the film had, he plays two roles in this. He's great. Very well done. And his part. He's a great actor, and he seemed very healthy. Now, who knows? You know, you don't know what's going on with people's health. But he's passed away at the age of 67 in the Dominican Republic, where he was filming in his sleep, where he was filming a a thriller called Dangerous Waters. Um, He survived by his fiancée, J.C., and an adult daughter named Carson Leota. Now, this is just so sad. I don't know anything about Ray Liotta. Other than, I mean, I know what's what you can read in a biography that, um, you know, that he was born in Newark and made some movies, uh, some better than others, and that he's now passed away at a very young age. But this was an incredibly talented actor, uh, a guy that not only was great in uh, a lot of different films, but was wonderful playing himself in a wide variety of roles. On ER, uh, doing a voice on The Simpsons, Just Shoot Me, Modern Family. He was really a wonderful actor. And he's uh, going to be missed by, I'm sure by his friends and family, but certainly by his fans. You hate to see a guy like this pass away at the age of 67. It's funny, John Katsimatidis was just telling me, that he and Margot recently rewatched Goodfellas for the first time. Now, Goodfellas is a great film, um, all about the Lufthansa heist, and that's sort of the film that put him on the map. Uh, but I'll tell you, my favorite Ray Liotta film is Copland. I absolutely love Copland. Have you ever seen Copland? It's from the mid '90s, and it's basically. Um, Ray Liotta gained a whole bunch of weight for the film. And I used to really enjoy him in these different um, interviews describing how he went about gaining the weight because he's great in that film. Sylvester Stallone, who also gained a bunch of weight in that film, is great in the movie. Um, Janine Garofalo is great in the film. And, you know, Sid Rosenberg's buddy, Michael Rappaport, is great in the film. And, you know, Robert De Niro absolutely steals the show. And you blew it! He's, you blew it! He's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful in that film. And you blew it! You blew it! But, um, you know, so Copland is a great film, and it's really a lesser-known film. I saw it in theaters um, with my grandfather, who was still alive at the time. Uh, we both really enjoy it. 
Uh, but uh, clearly the thing that's going to be line one in his obituary today in all the newspaper coverage about him is uh, his role in the film Goodfellas, where he plays Henry Hill. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Now, he plays Henry Hill very much as a heroic figure. I don't view Henry Hill as a heroic figure at all. I view Henry Hill, the real Henry Hill, as somebody that was a total degenerate, a total criminal, a total lowlife, a guy that never worked an honest day in his life, and then when it came time to pay the piper for his decades of criminal misdeeds, he instead chose to rat on anybody that he's ever met. Now, to me, that's not heroic, but the fact that you watch the film Goodfellas and you view Henry Hill as the hero in that film, in my view, that makes Ray Liotta's portrayal of him even more impressive. Now the guy's got Paulie as a partner. Any problems, he goes to Paulie. Trouble with the bill, he can go to Paulie. Trouble with the cops, deliveries, Tommy, he can call Paulie. But now the guy's got to come up with Paulie's money every week, no matter what. Business bad, f- you pay me. Oh, you had a fire, f- you pay me. Place got hit by lightning, huh? F- you pay me. So um, he's going to be missed, a ter- tremendous actor. Uh, but I would love to know the answer to my question. If you're going to do a Ray Liotta movie marathon this weekend, or even if you're just going to watch a couple of Ray Liotta films, whether it's Copland, whether it's Goodfellas, whether it's Field of Dreams, where he plays Shoeless Joe Jackson, one of the great baseball movies of all time, or a film uh, that just came out a couple of years ago, Marriage Story, which was nominated for an Academy Award, where he plays a a divorce attorney. Great in role. It's a supporting role, but he's great in it. Or, or if you're a Sopranos fan and you haven't seen The Many Saints of Newark yet and you want to see him in that, where do you stand on how to watch a film at home? Are you with me, where you like to watch it with five or six people? Or are you more of the mode of a Steve Sharippa or a Michael Imperioli, where if you're watching a film at home, you prefer to be just you by yourself or you and another person? 800 848 W-A-B-C. But, um, I mean, you know, it's funny. When in, when you're young, right, when you're 12, 13, and you see that someone dies at 67, what do you do? You, you shrug. You shrug yourself. Oh, he was old. But then you get older, and you see how young 67 is. He died at 67? I mean, that's way too young. I mean, who knows? Uh, Dominican Republic, I don't know that they suspect foul play or anything like that. But um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm sure that I hope there'll be an autopsy. We'll see what happens. And uh, it's a shame the guy was engaged to be married and uh, and something like this happens. Uh, Very unfortunate. uh, But uh, a fine actor no longer with us. If we wanted something, we just took it. If anyone complained twice, they got hit so bad. Believe me, they never complained again. And you remember who arrested Ray Liotta in Goodfellas? the weekly contributor to the Bernie and Sid show, Bo Deedle. Yeah, Bo Deedle was in the film Goodfellas and arrested uh, Henry Hill, played by Ray Liotta. Please, please, don't you move, you I'll blow your brains out. Shut the car up slowly. For a second, I thought I was dead. But when I heard all the noise, I knew they were cops. Only cops talk that way. 
And now he spoke with Bryant Gumbel a few years ago about how he really wanted that role of Henry Hill and how he actually sought out Marty Scorsese for the role. Goodfellow stars Ray Liotta as Henry Hill. Ray, good morning. Good morning. Uh, you sought Marty Scorsese out for this role. Why? Well, I had read the book. I uh, didn't know they were going to make it into a movie. I heard they were going to and was fascinated by the book. And then to have Martin Scorsese directing it, you know, what actor wouldn't want it. And plus the part is just so full and juicy. There's just so much. It spans 30 years. And just about every emotion you could think of, uh, Henry went through. Now, whenever you talk about mob movies, and this is very much a mob movie, a lot of people raise the the issue of Italian stereotypes. And Brian Gumbel raised that very question on the Today Show with Ray Liotta. No concerns at all that this film reinforces some stereotypes of Italians that are rather unpleasant? Um, I think it would be if someone had made up this story and chose to uh, capitalize on, on, like what you're saying, the Italian-American background and the fact that these guys are in the mafia. But this is a true story. I play someone who's also half Irish. The character De Niro plays is also half Irish. There's a, So there's different backgrounds there. There you have it. 800-848-WABC. You prefer watching motion pictures at home in a group or by yourself? What do you say? 800-848-9222. Matt Blaze, I, I don't even need to ask you because you live your whole life by yourself, isolated <laughs> uh, from everybody. You obviously prefer by yourself. It doesn't really matter to me. Really? Honestly. I, 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 if there's a lot of talking going on, no, and that's why I'm paying attention you, to the you, movie. No, that's why I have to control that remote. Right. No, I agree with that. But I also like going to a movie theater and watching it on a big screen. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, you know, I don't get to do it as often as I would like. You know what it is? When There's so much flexibility watching it at home. And uh, you get to control the, when you watch it, whatever you want to see. You know, you don't have to. You're not slave to some someone else's schedule. But uh I hear that. Hey, are you coming to this Joe Nolan thing today? What do we think? Yeah. I'm You're gonna, coming. I'm going to try to go. As long as we, it depends on what happens this morning. What, meaning if we have a meeting If we have not? a meeting or not and how what time I can get out of here and get home and sleep for at least a few hours. Yeah, that would be nice. That would be nice. All right, 800-848-WABC, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 open lines, 1-800-848-9222. Howie is here in Manhattan. Hello, Howie. I'll get the phone. Hold on. I'll Okay. Now, you called me. I want to talk about. Yes. I know. <laughs> okay. All right. Ricky boy, I'm on, I'm on the air. All right. So I turn on TV, and it's uh, Team of Genie, and it's a UFO on the TV. I'm like, oh, I never saw this episode. It's interesting. And inside the UFO are two Earthlings, Major Nelson and his boss. Then all of a sudden, Genie pops up to give him lunch, and he goes, hey, we're doing a secret mission here. What are you doing? And it has me thinking, is this what they're trying to make the public think, that the humans are, are the ones that are in the UFOs? <clears throat> but here's what I'm really calling about. Uh, Sunday, I called up the Curtis of the other, of the other, 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 other side of midnight, and we had a long, lengthy talk, maybe 15, 20 minutes. And I used the the um, the podcast when I call in for in my techno DJ sets. For oh yeah, yeah, you Christmas. were the guy that claimed. That you said something and that I, I removed it from the podcast or something? That I censored something from the podcast? No, not you. He did. Um, oh, Curtis did. Curtis did. Yeah, Curtis did. And I'm looking for the podcast, and I'm looking thoroughly through it. I'm looking, I mean, listen to all three of them then. 
And like, why is my phone call taken off? And anything he meant, because he mentioned my name two times after it, and then that's also taken off. And I'm thinking, was it because I was talking about this world being uh, a simulation, uh, a fake simulation? And was it because I was talking about LSD hits? So I don't know. Why was my phone call taken off? Very interesting, Howie. Uh, That Curtis is a slippery character. I wouldn't put anything past Uh him. Howie, um, just for the record, you do think we're living in a computer simulation, right? And a very advanced one, yeah. Yeah, obviously. Obviously. Like 800-848-WABC. We've covered that. We've explored it. I think there's a good chance, honestly, much like Elon Musk. Hey, uh, where do you come down on that, Matt Blaze? Do you think we're living in a computer simulation? Uh, no. Well, what, do you, what do you know? What do you know? Computers. Hey, the Matrix? We're in the Matrix? Yeah, yeah, we are living in the Matrix. Absolutely. This is a really crappy Matrix if this is what we're living in. Why? Because there'd be more... There'd be more fun things to do. Why am I not flying around? Why don't I have superpowers like Neo? Because why can't I do kung fu? The, the de- designer or designers of the simulation d- don't have a need to have you fly around and do kung kung fu. That's it. Well, they should. Well, we should I, be living in like the either the Marvel or DC universe, and we should have superheroes. All right, you, you're getting out of control here. You, not you, out of control, but living in a computer simulation isn't. You're, you're out of control. <laughs> you, but people should go back and listen to the interview that I did on uh, February 11th with David Chalmers. It's available at wabcradio.com. In fact, you should subscribe to all the podcasts we have. Just search the other side of midnight. Uh, but also, there's a Frank Morano podcast on there which is just the interviews, listen, go back, go to the Frank Morano podcast on WABCradio.com and listen to the discussion that I had with David Chalmers. We explore in some detail whether or not we're living in a computer simulation. The short answer is we probably are. We probably are. Um, Let me say hello to Kevin in Kenilworth. Hello, Kevin. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, I wanted to tell you uh, about the Ray Liotta films. I personally like to watch them on my own because it seems like whenever you get more than three or four people together, it always seems like they want to talk like each other. And it, it's like, what's the purpose of watching something with a group of people if they're going to Cool. The whole movie. Kevin, what's going on at your house now, right now? It sounds like there are people that want to talk to you during this phone call. Oh, no. I'm, I'm, I'm at work. Where, uh, what kind of work do you do? Uh, I'm overnight stocking at uh, Walmart. Oh, oh, okay. Well, don't have any old ladies arrested for shoplifting. I hear you, Kevin. And that's what essentially Steve Sharippa and Michael Imperioli were saying. I get it. Um, that's why uh, you have to strictly enforce that no talking code. Now, what's the value? And thanks for the call, Kevin. You sound all Walmarty, so I'm going to uh, let you go. What's the point of watching films in a group if you're not going to talk? Is that you can talk about it immediately after. It's fun. I really enjoy it. I really do. Maybe I'm alone in this one. I know we said we were going to put together a um, politically incorrect film festival, but then. Uh, rather than actually do the work and planning this film festival, I just went about living my life and preparing for this radio show. But if anybody else wants to organize that politically incorrect film festival, invite me. I'll come and we'll promote it. We'll get a lot of listeners to come down as well. It'll be fun. 800-848-WABC. Anthony is in Howard Beach. Hello, Anthony. I really do. Maybe I'm 
am alone in this one. I know we said that. Oh, my goodness. Now, Philippe, did you tell him to turn his radio off? Of course. I don't believe you. I don't believe that you did. No, I, I tell him. I tell everyone. I don't. Well, this Facebook group is in trouble with you as a moderator. I'll tell you. Stan is in Fresh Meadows. Hello, Stan. Hey, good morning. How you doing? Fine. Hello. I'm oh, great. Good, good, good. All right. Nice to hear you. I've been. I listen to you every morning on the way into work, and uh, you know, you guys are awesome. I gotta say. Uh, but on, I want to comment on on watching movies. You know, like late at night, it's gotta be just me. You know what I mean? I want that peace and quiet and listen to every word in the movie. I can just join it early afternoon, you know, late, you know, uh, early evening. I watch with a bunch of people. That's good. But like I said, late at night at like 12, you're sitting there watching when you really get into it, it gets intense, and you become part of the movie. Where, uh, whereas with other people around, you're not going to get that same kind of vibe. Now, Stan, how do you explain that if you go to a, a, a cineplex – you're watching the film with a whole bunch of other people. Why do you not get that same vibe that you do when you're watching the film by yourself at home? Well, because you get it, it, because somebody next to you, they're chewing on popcorn, you know, making all kinds of noise, you know, and they like making. So you really you you start to get into it a little bit, but it like like the important parts of movies. People most of the time they they, they get quiet, but then you got some parts where they just just start talking and yakking and yakking. So you like really, get, so it takes you out of the moment. Yeah. I, well, you're right about the that. In the movie. You're right about that. Look, I, I think you and Kevin and Matt and me are all saying the same thing. And Steve Sharippa and Michael Imperioli, we're all saying the same thing, which is that we don't want people speaking during the film. I'm saying if you can strictly police people speaking during the film, why not have a bunch of people there? I really like it. And uh, by the way, hey, Matt Blaze, do you have a favorite Ray Liotta film? I would probably say Goodfellas. A- have out, anything out we haven't other. mentioned? I, I mean, I liked him in Shades of Blue, that TV show with Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I never saw that, but I've heard I've heard he was very yeah, good on that. Yeah, he was good on that, yeah. too. Okay. Adrian is on the Upper West Side. Hello, Adrian. Hey, um, I'm for uh, watching him alone, or maybe, you know, with uh, my better half, but... Not a group because people cannot keep their phones off. It drives me nuts in the mm. theater with the the eerie glow. Like I like the lights down dim too, so it's like you know a nice you know theater like atmosphere at home. And then you got the eerie glows of their phones. They're addicted, and then they're like, "What did I miss? What did I miss?" Or the worst thing, the worst is not that they talk to each other. That's bad enough, but they talk to the screen. Like the characters can hear them. Like, look out, look out! What are you doing? Like, uh, that is annoying. That is annoying. <laughs> uh, you're, you're right about that, Adrian. And the phone issue is one that we didn't mention. You're right. If you're going to have people over, you have to have not only a strict no talking policy, but a no phone policy. By the way, a bunch of people are writing in uh, mentioning the early Ray Liotta film, Something Wild. That was a film that people were calling in about. When we did our segment on the best films that you've never seen, I have never seen something wild. Uh, but uh, Ray Liotta, maybe that's what I'll watch this weekend if I can f- steal away 90 minutes. Uh, but uh, Jeff Daniels is in it, Melanie Griffin is in it, so uh, Melanie Griffith is in it. So I, I, um, I, I have never seen that, but it's gotten a lot of good reviews from people that I trust. Tom is in New Jersey. Hello, Tom. Hello, Frank. How you doing? Great. Uh, it's good. That's good. It's it's funny because uh, I was on the way back from uh, Kennedy Airport uh, yesterday, 
And uh, I'm going on the Grand Central, so I stop for a cup of coffee. And where do I stop into? But the airport diner. It's now Jackson Hole. Ah. But it's I walk in, and whose picture's right up there on the wall? But Ray Liotta's, because that's where they filmed all the diner scenes from Goodfellas. Right, right. Though I've been, I've been there, and uh, those were, of course, great scenes in Goodfellas. Absolutely. No, no, it was, it was great. He was great. There was also uh, there was a movie he was in uh, a, a while ago. Where he was, uh, he was a prisoner on an on an island where they where they where they marooned all these all these people, and there was two groups. There was two groups of of, uh, of men who, uh, who 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 were on the island, and they used to battle each other on that. It, yeah, it, I it I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that film, but I think it's called No Escape. Okay. Yeah. 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 That and uh, it was. Uh, I thought he did a good job, and I thought it was a good movie. It was interesting. Yeah, I'll I'll put it on my list as well, Tom. I haven't seen it, but, uh, you know, again, he's great in everything, honestly. Even movies that are only mediocre, you know, he's great in everything. Walt is in Yonkers. Hello, Walt. Uh, Yes, good morning, Frank. Um, I have three Ray Liotta films. Okay. One is uh, Unlawful Entry. Mm Mm-hmm. And the second one is Narc. Narc. Narc is a good one. I've seen that. Yes. And uh, Identity with John Cusack. You know, I don't think I've seen Identity, uh, but that frequently comes up as a a lot of people's favorite Ray Liotta Mm -hmm. film. But I haven't seen that one. I don't think I have. And Unlawful Lunch is pretty good. Yeah, he plays a dirty cop. but Yeah. It's funny. He always plays uh, good roles when he's a dirty cop or he did. dirty something. Um, <laughs> You're yeah. absolutely right, Walt. You are absolutely right. Um, he, he, There is something that can be very sinister about him. You know? He's one of those guys. 800-848-WABC. We're going to try Anthony in Howard Beach again and see if he's decided to turn his radio off. Hello, Anthony. Yeah, hi, Frank. I have my radio off now. I'm driving. Wonderful, I wonderful. Uh, now, be honest, so, Anthony. You, did Philippe tell you to turn your radio off before? No, I heard you say it. I see. Interesting. But okay. my phone went on mute, and uh, I thought I had it on. Uh-huh. Okay. Connected. All right. It's fine. Uh, I enjoy watching the movies and uh, motion pictures with my wife, especially one movie that she got really into it. It's called Gamora. Oh. It's about the Neapolitan, uh, what really goes on. The Neapolitan Mafia. You know, I, I'm not familiar with that. What is it called? Gomorrah? Gomorrah. As in on, Sodom uh, and Gomorrah? Yeah. Huh. It's on Netflix. Uh, they finished the first uh, series. Uh, they, they're about to do the second series, but it hasn't come out yet. Maybe you can huh. stream it. Uh, but the first series on Netflix was great. They speak Napoleon, but they have subtitles. And my wife understands uh, Sicilian, but she don't understand Napoleon. I understand Napoleon because I dealt with a lot of people from different nationalities from Italy. You mean and, Neapolitan, uh, not Napoleon. Neapolitan, yes. Right. Napoleon. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, that was a really great movie because that's the real thing, what's happening in uh, Naples. Give me the title again one more time. Gamora with a G. Gamora with a G. Okay. Uh, I will, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know that I... I don't know that I've heard of that one before, but I'll try it based on your recommendation. Thank you, Anthony. It is sad, though. The guy, 67 years old, to see this happen, it's a, it's a real bummer. A real bummer. It's interesting. So Ray Liotta was born in Newark, and he was abandoned at an orphanage. And he was adopted at six months old. 
the same age my son turned yesterday, six months old. He was adopted by the township clerk and an auto parts store owner. Those were his adopted parents. And they, uh, the auto parts store owner was the son of Italian immigrants and was a personnel director and president of the local Democratic Party club. So both of his parents uh, ran for political office unsuccessfully. So some of his earliest memories were of attending parades to hand out flyers for his father's run for for office. So, um, you know, it's interesting. When he was a little older, he hired a private detective to locate his biological mother in the 2000s. And he subsequently learned from her that he was mostly of uh, Scottish descent. You know, it's very interesting. I've always wondered about that. Um, if I found out that I was adopted, would I want to know my biological parents? And I think the answer is yes, I would. And I know other people feel differently. Uh, I have a very close friend who was adopted, and he met his biological father. Turns out his biological father worked in the same building that he was working in in Manhattan. Can you imagine that? What are the chances of that? And he reached out to his biological mother, and uh, she didn't want to meet him. She didn't. She wasn't ready for it. And it's funny. His biological father. This is my friend, not really Yoda. His biological father had no idea that he existed. Never knew that he was born. His biological mother kept his existence a secret. And this was someone who, according to my friend, when he got to meet his his biological father, was very lonely. And really would have loved to have some family in his life. And I really do find that so unfair that um, people view parenting as a one-person job when it's convenient. But that father, or any father, has just as much of a right to know about a child's existence as the mother does. I thought that was awful when I heard that. So I think about that kind of thing a lot. Uh, But... uh, but it is interesting. Um, you know, Ray Liotta, a great talent, no doubt about it. Spent a lot of time in New York, was a bartender here in New York before he was able to make a career as an actor and uh, made a lot of great films. Certainly, Goodfellas was certainly a game changer. Field of Dreams, one of the best baseball movies of all time. And Copland, as far as I'm concerned, uh, very, very underrated uh, Frankie is in Glendale. Hello, Frankie. Hey, good morning. Uh, listen, I don't want to be a stickler, but the diner in Goodfellas was uh, the inside scenes and the outside scenes were filmed in Manspit, Queens, on the corner of Rush Street and Manspit Avenue. Oh, uh, well, okay. I know that because I worked there and I sat at that booth where De Niro and Ray Liotta sat. Really? And it was very, very, yeah. Unfortunately, the diner shut down. It used to be called oh. the Clinton Diner. Uh, but the bar, the bar is in Richmond Hill. The, the bar scene where um, they have the Christmas party is a place called Nears Tavern in Richmond Hill. That still exists. I I, think the, I did not know bar. that. I did not know yeah. that. Frankie, thanks for straightening us out on that. All right. Uh, we're going to do uh, we're going to do 30. We're going to do the thousand dollar minute in just a moment. If you want to be the seventh caller to 800 848 
1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. We're going to give you an opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. If you can do that, if you can answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, you will be $1,000 richer. If you can't, then you won't be. Um, be the seventh caller right now at 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. Singing, gentlemen, this is the other side of midnight. Time for us to give one lucky person an opportunity to win some money. It's time for the other side of midnight presents. It's the thousand dollar minute. Answer ten questions correctly in one minute, and you could win one thousand dollars. Here's your host, Frank Morano. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Let us say hello to Kathy in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Hello, Kathy. Actually, I'm in Connecticut. Ah, (laughs) you got past our rigorous screening process, Kathy, of uh, (laughs) fully. How how did you get Pennsylvania from Connecticut? I'm just I'm just curious. I do have family. My parents are from Pennsylvania. So well, did you mention that in your in your conversation with Philippe? No, yes, I just said yes. from Connecticut. Kathy from Connecticut. Wait, so, Philippe, how do you get Kathy from Pennsylvania when she's in Connecticut? I don't understand. Frank, my mind is an enigma, and I can't really explain how it works sometimes. Things just happen. There's formulas in my brain that I, even, I can't even comprehend. Yeah, there are for, If there was any place we wish there was a formula shortage, it was in your brain. That's for sure. Kathy in Connecticut. All right. Um, Can I just say one thing? I just want to say I was a huge fan of Ray Liotta, so thank you for what you did tonight. Oh, well, that's very nice. What's your favorite Ray Liotta film? Oh, gosh, probably Goodfellas, but something wild you will enjoy. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I may uh, may try and see it this weekend. uh, It's my brother's birthday this weekend, and he specifically requested that he didn't want any um, gifts or anything. He wanted to do a shared experience, but... My wife is um, is going out uh, Saturday night, so I, I'm basically going to be home with the baby. So I, I'm hoping he'll come over and we'll watch a film or something. Maybe we'll check that out, something wild. That'll be fun. And I forgot about Copland, too. That's another toss-up. Oh, favorite. Uh, exactly. that is – I just love Copland. Yeah. Uh, nothing like that. All right. Kathy, you familiar with the uh, with the game here? Somewhat, yes. I heard it you know, one time on there, and I okay. just hope I at least passed the first question. Oh, you're going to be fine. Okay. So the way this works is um, we start the timer after the first question, and um, you will get 60 seconds uh, to answer these 10 questions. If you get a question right, we're just going to move on to the next question, okay? Okay. All right. What goes in a stapler? 
Staples. Name an alcoholic beverage. Bacardi. What do chickens lay? What do chickens what? Lay. Eggs. In the Bible, who persuaded Eve to eat the fruit from the tr- the forbidden tree, the tree of knowledge? A- Adam. No. It, the, oh, go ahead. It was it was Lucifer. It was the devil. Uh, I was going to say that too. That I'm like that's a tricky question, but okay. <laughs> um, well, why is it tricky? Why is it tricky? Well, just because the whole story of Adam and Eve and how he was just so he wasn't he should have been stronger for the whole situation. Yeah. Right? Um, uh, well, I, okay. Well, I'm sorry you didn't win, Kathy. I was rooting for you, a Ray Liotta fan and a uh, a nutmegger and a, and a listener. Uh, but we are going to give you a complimentary the other side of midnight T-shirt if you'd like one. Okay, sure. All right, I'm going to put you on hold. Talk to Philippe. Uh, make sure you emphasize twice what state we're shipping this to. And uh, hopefully it's able to uh, sink in. 800-848-WABC. I'm hesitant to say this, but let me go to Mike in what I think is Pennsylvania. Hello, Mike. How you doing, Frank? Yep. What state state are you actually in, Mike? Right now I'm in Jersey. I'm Ah, 78. Wait, in a bad traffic jam. If you guys had traffic, I would have known it was a bad traffic jam this way. I know you had Joe Nolan on, and you mentioned about me talking about traffic once. That's and, right. Uh, That's right. We're still we have a big meeting today. Uh, I'm told our the, our president Chad Lopez is coming to the 7 a.m. meeting today, and this is on the agenda: whether or not we're going to yeah, incorporate yeah. traffic uh, in the four o'clock hour. So yeah, but but that's why I'm not calling. Okay. Are you there? Yeah, I'm listening. Yeah. All right. What I'm calling for. I tuned in. I'm here about Ray Liotta. I'm saying, there's kids that got shot in Texas. Everybody's worried about Ray Liotta. And then all of a sudden, you come up, and, like, God just hit me, and then it came up, you know, because we got the big abortion issue, too. And you said that Ray Liotta was, was abandoned. Now, you look at, at what that mother had to do and what we've been telling mothers to do. Look how his life, look how many people his life touched. It, it just tells you, you got to, Got to put it in God's hands. Uh, that's I, our problem. Mike, away from God. Mike, Go I can't disagree with you there. Uh, it's a, it's absolutely. I think that um, you know, and I'm getting messages from. I don't know if, if she wants to be known, but I'm getting messages from listeners here that I had no, and including friends of mine, that I had no idea were adopted, and they're saying that they were adopted, and I had no idea. I think adoption is a wonderful. Um, Wonderful option for families that may be having difficulty with fertility. And uh, I think it's a wonderful alternative to abortion. And and I don't want to get into a whole pro-choice versus pro-life debate. But to Mike's point, I mean, if you're on the fence, if you you know you're not in a position to care for a child, and you're on the fence about having an abortion or putting that baby, carrying it to term and putting it up for adoption— He's exactly right. Look at Ray Liotta. Look at how many lives Ray Liotta touched. Had his biological mother chose to make a different decision, the whole world would have been different. Right? Joe is on Staten Island. Hello, Joe. Frank, how you doing? I just see the picture of you on the uh, Google. Do you know? Did you know? Uh, how old are you? Uh, I don't say. I don't say. All right. Did, did you know uh, Joe Magola? He lived in Pittsburgh Bay? Uh, I don't think so. It doesn't ring a bell. You look, you look just like him. The, the second point I wanted to bring up is, the, you know that uh, Nostradamus guy you had? 
Yeah, Dr. Turi, the guy that predicted there was going to be a big shooting the same day that there was a a mass shooting. Yeah, Uh, I thought that was very eerie, very eerie. That's for freaky stuff. (laughs) That's for sure. That's for sure. Joe, thanks. If um, if if you run into any of Joe Magola's old friends and associates, please don't tell them that I've actually stolen his identity and I am living uh, I am actually Joe Magola, living under an assumed identity of Frank Morano. I, uh, years ago, gave some uh, very damning information to federal prosecutors. And since then, I've been forced to abandon my true identity as Joe Magola. And I've uh, assumed this whole persona of Frank P. Morano. And uh, Frank. Nobody knows what happened to the real Frank P. Morano, but I guess what we don't know won't hurt him. Uh, Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. We're gonna do fifteen seconds of fame in just a minute. People were complaining because the last couple of days we didn't allow enough time for fifteen seconds of fame. We're, blah, blah, blah. we're, blah, blah, we're gonna blah. allow extra time for fifteen seconds of fame. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. We are uh, coming up at five a.m. Deb Valentine is off. She's getting an early start on Memorial Day weekend. So Frank Diaz is here, but you're still gonna to get to hear some of uh, Deb Valentine's exclusive interview with Mark Levin where they analyze this Pennsylvania U.S. Uh, Senate election. And then uh, we have this big meeting at 7 o'clock. People are already preparing for it, in which we're going to discuss, you know, expanding traffic to the 4 a.m. hour, because I know a lot of people are clamoring for traffic. 800-848-9222, 15 seconds of fame, straight ahead. side of midnight and frank morano um we're gonna do 15 seconds of fame in just a moment Uh, i did mention to you um and i don't want to leave anybody hanging as to how things went i did mention to you that yesterday i was going to go to that um friars club testimonial dinner for uh tracy morgan and so my wife and i went we had a great time it was a lot of fun i was annoyed so i am in a tuxedo right now i'm doing this program in a tuxedo so this meeting that we're about to have about whether to add traffic, um, this I will be attending this meeting in black tie. I was annoyed, though, because I have some really neat cufflinks. I have is a rental, this tuxedo, and I'm hoping it works out better than the last tuxedo that I rented in which I uh, lost my pants um, on the subway, actually. Now, believe me, if there was a good story, I would tell you. I would, I, I'd love to make up a story, but no. But I have these really neat cufflinks, some microphone cufflinks, some uh, subway token cufflinks, 
And um, instead, I ended up wearing, I guess as I was in a rush, I ended up wearing just the regular cufflinks that come with the tuxedo. So that was annoying. But it was a great event, uh, and my friend Arthur Idola did a, a great job. Now, there were two people. This room was loaded with VIPs. Everybody was at this event. Um, J.B. Smoove was there. Uh, CeeLo Green was there. Joe Piscopo was there. Geraldo Rivera, Janine Pirro, uh, Anthony Weiner, uh, Alan Dershowitz. Uh, uh, the list goes on and on. A whole bunch of people. Before I went to this event, there were only two people that I wanted to make sure that I saw. Only two. I mean, look, I was happy to see everybody. But there were only two people that I wanted to go up to and talk to. Because generally when there's these events like this, I want to position myself so that I can acquire the most hors d'oeuvres possible and get good bar space, right? And have a space to lean. Because that's the worst. When you're at these parties and it's crowded and you're shoulder to shoulder with everybody, I like to get a good spot on a table somewhere. And, you know, and then if people want to talk to you, they can come over and talk to you. But there were only two people that I wanted to talk to. One was Marvin Scott who was on this show yesterday, and I, I, either yesterday or the day before, two days ago, I think it was, because I wanted him to sign my book. I've had this book that he's written for five years, and I've run into him a bunch of times, and I've not brought the book. So I said, let me bring the book and so that I can have him sign it, because I have a, a voluminous collection of signed books. And wouldn't you know it, I found Marvin Scott, and this was the nicest thing that I've ever seen. He said um, he was looking for me. To sign the book. And I found him. We were kind of looking for each other. It was like the, the Gift of the Magi, right? Or the Pina Colada song, whatever you prefer. And I found him. And I've never seen anyone do this for me before or anybody. He had written out on a piece of paper a draft of the inscription that he was going to write in my book. Have you ever seen that? I mean, you talk about thought. I don't know that I would ever do that to somebody. You kind of write whatever comes to your mind. He had written out on a piece of paper a draft of what he was going to write in my book. And then so I gave him the book, and he wrote, I'm not going to share it because it's private, but he wrote the most beautiful inscription, very heartfelt and very, very nice. And the other person that I wanted to see at this event yesterday was Bill de Blasio, because there were three mayors there, Eric Adams, Rudy Giuliani, and Bill de Blasio. And I, 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 don't, wanna, I don't know if I'm going to get anybody in trouble with this, but Rudy Giuliani actually walked out when Eric Adams started speaking. He walked out. He says, I'm not going to listen to this guy talk about September 11th. Walked out of the room. And so the guy I wanted to find was Bill de Blasio because he hasn't responded to my invitation to be on this show now that he's running for Congress. So I found the Mayor de Blasio. I posted a picture, much to the chagrin of those of you that didn't want to take a picture with him. You could see it at Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. And I said, uh, Mr. Mayor, why are you avoiding me? And he said, Frank... I'm going to do your show. I know you have a request in. And even if we disagree, even if you've been critical critical of me, I know all your interviews are high road. So I'm going to do your show. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Meantime, it's time for The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Donald is in Manhattan. Frank, let me tell you something. They got a name for the winners in this world. I, I want a name when I lose. They call Alabama the Crimson Tide. Call me, he can blue. And uh, Mark in Rochelle Park. All right, we're, we'll end it there. I don't want to, uh, now the boss is here. I don't want to go over the uh, 40 seconds after 4.58 that were allotted. Frank Diaz in the WABC Early News is next with Mark Levin. 
I'll be back Monday, uh, Tuesday morning. Have a great Memorial Day. Frank Morano, good day.